And we're live. What's up, everybody? I'm back. For those who don't know, I was at Midburn last week. Midburn is Israel's Burning Man. Maybe we'll start by talking a little bit about Midburn until we start getting in some viewers, until we start getting people uh, calling in. Let me know if you could hear me all right, if you could see me all right. I don't have my webcam again, so not the best video quality, but it looks looks pretty good from my vantage point. So, Jordan, I see you're saying g- cool music. I actually don't like the music at all. I, I think we're going to change it. Um, can someone remind me on Sunday to change the music? Unless we get 10 people in chat say keep it, then we'll keep it. We'll, we'll, we'll let the crowd decide. But to me, it's like a little, a little too aggressive. It doesn't embody the spirit of peace. So, <clears throat> anyways... So uh, before we get shouted, uh, a shout out to our Patreon visionary members. We have Trivium Energy Pty Ltd. We have SOG Cannabis, Max Marine, Kevin P- Posner, Adam Becker, Maya, Kimberly, Jordan Walter, Nate Hinman, Julian Melser, and our one and only legendary member, Speedy Weedy. Speedy Weedy is a cannabis company, cannabis delivery company in Southern California. You could find a link to their website in the description. Check them out. They're giving us a hundred dollars a month. Greatly appreciated. And anybody who's contributing, whether you're a visionary member or just a regular Patreon member, all support is greatly appreciated. Uh, you can find a link to our Patreon and other means of uh, donation in the description. Thank you in advance for any donation that's given. As you can see, we have like a, an Israeli flag right over there. Not mine, but uh, everything's reverse on uh, on camera. But uh, I'm in the marina in Herzliya, and it seems like someone's got an Israeli flag going. The spirit of, of Zion, I guess. Herzliya was named after Theodore Herzl, so I guess it's it's fitting. Anyways, <clears throat> Mariam Ahmed goes, I think it gives more of a gym vibe. You know, I agree with you. It's not it's not what we're looking for. Garefoot goes, the music is horrible. <laughs> yep, I agree. Um, okay, what else do we got? Uh, Nir says, I agree. It's not a... Uh, a peace vibe. Daniel goes, keep it. Um, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, the music's gone. You'll never hear it again, okay? Ever. All right, so before we get started, so we're doing a call-in show today. Anybody can call in, hop on. Each guest will have around five minutes, just so we have time for everybody. Um, I'm going to drop a link in the chat. Um, if you want to join the the stream, you click it, and then eventually I will let you on. Okay, this isn't streaming to Facebook today. I just realized. All good. So, Midburn. In general, Burns, many would call it a festival, but it's it's different than a regular festival. So you have, in the United States, Burning Man, which is the original Burn, and then you have what they call regional Burns, which are different countries um, cooperating with Burning Man to bring a Burn to their... Uh, to their country. So the second biggest burn in the world after Burning Man is Africa burn in South Africa. The third biggest is Midburn here in Israel. <clears throat> what makes it different than other festivals is that generally at a festival or an event, the the producers um, create all the content, right? They'll build the stages. They'll bring the art. They'll bring the, the artists. At Burns, it's different. Here, it's the people are bringing the content, um, what the way it works is first individuals 
there's a principle of gifting. Every individual needs to come in the spirit of giving something to the community. So imagine at Burning Man, you have 70,000 people there, everyone in the spirit of giving. Imagine just the vibe that can create. But in addition to that, people group together into camps. And a camp is essentially like a big tent structure that has a theme. And that that camp is meant to provide content throughout the week. It's, it's a full six days in the desert. And the, the themed camps range, they vary. You could have like a camp that's doing yoga a few times a day. You could have like a Mexican themed camp that's going to do uh, tacos and margaritas for a few hours a day. A Wild Wild West camp that's going to have like an open bar for a few hours a day. Um, there's a camp that just has hammocks up where you could go and rest in a hammock throughout the day. Um, what else? It, there was an Israel-Palestine camp that I hung out with. I actually uh, went in there not knowing anybody, but as I started talking to people there, I saw that some I had some Facebook friends that, I, that I've known for a long time that I met there. I made some great connections. Um, what are some other camps? There's like a Viking-themed camp that does Viking parties. And then in addition to that, there's dozens of art installations all over the desert that you go from one to the other. And there's no money there, right? So everything the camps give is for free. So you just walk around all day, all night. There's 24 hours a day of multiple things going on. And you can just go to one thing to another and it's all for free. So you pay entrance to get into Burning Man, but then you have a, a week of free content, more content than any single individual can consume. Um, you could be there for a month and not even uh, not, not even experience it all. So it's truly... Uh, I would even call it a life-changing experience. Uh, it's not easy, right? Being in the desert for a week isn't easy, but I do suggest everybody give it a shot because, you know, it's it's amazing to see how people can come together and build something so, magnific so magnificent in just a week's time and then break it all apart. It's also interesting how it kind of has like a similar model to capitalism in the sense that it's a distributed means of production, right? So like, let's talk about like communism in the classical sense where, um, actually, I don't want to say in the classical sense, but let's talk about like a, a Soviet style capital uh, communism where the state owns the means of production. So w whether it's cars or all manufacturing, healthcare, whatever it is, the state provides that. Um, and when the state is providing everything, they're limited in how much innovation they can create. It's just one body creating everything. Capitalism, essentially what it does is it says, no, it's not going to be the state creating producing. It's going to be people and people will compete to produce. And then you're going to have millions of people competing with one another and you're meant to achieve better results. So Burning Man has a very similar spirit in the sense that it's a distributed means of production. Anybody can uh, contribute and build. The difference here is capitalism is generally focused on profit, right? That's the, incentive, that's the motive in, in a capitalist system. It's to gain more profit. People are competing with one another to be more profitable. Burning Man's different. It's not about profit. It's about creativity. It's about giving back to the community. So you have a similar model to capitalism where people are competing with one another and the means of production is distributed, but the competition is not for profit. It's for creation, imagination. So it creates for something truly spectacular, truly um, spectacular. And uh, with that, I think we'll end our, our mid-burn Burning Man conversation. If people have specific questions about it, then I'd be happy to answer. But we could we could get the show on the road. <clears throat> Garefoot asks, is there a Lubavitch tefillin spot? Yeah, actually, there is a Chabad camp where you could go put on tefillin and do Shabbat dinner. Uh, there's a few Shabbat dinners throughout Midburn that you could go to. There's multiple sound camps uh, with different stages and stuff. Um, I wish I had a list of the camps because it really is endless, the, the stuff you could do. There's... Um, there's also like 18 plus camps that are like sex positive stuff, sex workshops, 
uh, even in Orgy Dome, right? So there's like everything, but there's also kids camps for kids. So it's really across the spectrum um, of things to do. You don't need to go party. You could kind of stay in your own little zone and do yoga workshops, keep it chill, or you could go dance for hours at a time. Freedom of expression is one of the, certainly one of uh, the principles. Learn, think you're so energized. Says I'm so energized talking about it. that's beautiful. Yeah, I I, I think it's I, I get excited talking about it because it truly is a of human cooperation. And uh, I, every time I go, I, I come back feeling truly inspired. Anyway, so uh, today today we're just gonna go with the flow. You know, people can come on, ask questions, challenge me, um, share feedback, wh- whatever they want. Um, yeah, we'll go with the flow. I see we have near Rofe in the waiting room. So, so, uh, yeah, let, let's near you ready to come on. Give me a thumbs up if you're ready. Awesome. Brother. Hola, amigo. What's up? Wait, hold up. I'm not hearing you. Uh, I had this issue the other day. Hold on. I got to change something in my settings. Yeah. Google is giving me problems. Hold on. Um, private security system. Manage your account. Well, this is annoying. All right, you know what we're going to do? Nir, give me give me a minute. I'm just going to go through Brave Browser. Honestly, fuck Google Chrome anyways. I shouldn't be supporting them. I keep making the same mistake by doing things through Google. All right, I'm going to disappear. I'll be back in, in, in a moment. Hey, guys. Didn't expect to be alone on the stream. Back in a moment. You see? There we go. Honestly, it seems like the video quality is better now. Or is that just me? Maybe it's just me. What, are you on Firefox right now? No, I'm on Brave Brave browser. It's like a blockchain based uh, browser. So I'm very much uh, very much enjoy enjoy blockchain based applications. Can you explain more about BBS? I didn't understand uh, what's going on over there. Yeah, sure. So BBS is uh, is also a blockchain based social media platform. It's it's meant to be a Reddit competitor for the. The scope is really to take it beyond Reddit and be just uh, to be a host for live streaming and all different, really combine all sorts of different social media platforms into one. But it being built utilizing blockchain technology has, I would say, two main advantages. One, that it's more, it's less censorship resistant. So the BBS team can't censor the content. Um, The censorship is done by the community admins. there are other layers of accountability if community admins aren't doing their work, but it puts doesn't put that power in the hands of the BBS team. It puts it in the hand of the community admins. In addition to that, because BBS has a token, BBS token, you have a token economy that is built into the ecosystem. And essentially, people earn can earn money for building and managing communities. They can earn money for creating posts. So all this time we spend on social media, posting, speaking, that's now monetized, right? You can now earn money to do that. Um, and disclaimer, I work for BBS, right? It's this, that's BBS pays my salary. It's my day job. Um, obviously my dream is to be able to do 
sulha one day full time. But um, but uh, I, I do love working for BBS. I think it's an awesome project, and I do want to gain traction in the sulha BBS. It's been hard, you know. We have fourteen hundred community members on Discord, but Discord is just different. It's like an instant message platform, and this is more similar to Reddit. So it's harder to bring people here, but I, I would like for everybody to come in and make one post a day, share your thoughts. I'm very active there. So if you ever want to ask me a question, you always can there. Um, here, I, ju- I just shared it in the, in the description. Can everyone just go to BBS now and create an account, go to Sulha? Um, it's, this is not instead of Discord. It's really a different solution. Discord is for instant messages. This is more for, for posts. Also, within the Sulha BBS, you can create boards. A board is a subcategory. And anyone cre- can create a board. And they actually earn money if people are posting on their board. So, for example, in Discord, you know, we have the cringe take repository. So, if somebody wants, they can create a cringe take repository on Sulha BBS. And any cringe take, they're going to earn money off the, the post made in that on that board. We all we actually already have a cringe take on Sulha BBS, so that's taken. But feel free to create any board you want. Um, Near, you could even do um, Ivrit, for example, Hebrew, and do it, Hebrew posts, for example. You could manage that board, invite people in, and just be part of uh, this awesome token economy. Um, and it it kind of turns a hobby into it, it allows us to earn for something we're passionate about, which is. Re- is really a dream come true for humanity, right? If we could, if sure. we could turn our, um, if we could turn our social media t- time into uh, earnings, I mean, imagine that. Gerfoot goes. We turn our passion to into earnings. That's the that's the key of life, true. right? That's what yep. everyone is searching for. Yep, a hundred percent. To to create incomes from something you you're passionate about. Yep, exactly. Well, that's that's really what I'm, you know, I'm attempting to do here with the YouTube channel. It's a slow and steady process, but yeah, that's that's what we're hoping to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garefoot, I see you say uh, sounds fishy. I mean, I think blockchain in general is confusing to many people, and it it doesn't always seem to make sense. So that might be where your fishy, like your feeling of fishiness, may come from. But I could assure you, it's all entirely legit and makes perfect sense. If, if if you have a specific question about like what you think doesn't make sense, I'd be happy to elaborate. But the token economics, it, it, it all works. It's it's sound. Um, I, I, for example, have just been using the platform since I started working the past few months and already have earned like $120. Just not, you know, I'm not, I can't live off that, but, you know, 120 bucks, why not? And the thing is you you earn the money and then you convert it into BBS token, which can increase in price. So let's say BBS does like a 10x over the next few years. That 120 is actually 1200. If it does a 20 uh, 100x, which it could, it's starting with a very low market cap, then that's already 12,000. So um very cool platform. Mm-hmm. The the token economics is sound. Um yeah. Yeah, happy to answer more questions about it or we could uh talk about uh talk about some IP stuff, is there? Israel Palestine. I know there's a lot of talk about critical race theory and wokeness right now in the United States. Oh, and look, we have now, uh, I see in the chat, we have Eyal Herzog, who's actually the founder of BBS and my boss, my boss and my friend. Um, Eyal, I hope, I hope you're pleased with my, uh, explanation. 
But uh, yeah, Al's a great guy. We actually go, go way back. But uh, around six months ago, he gave me a call and asked me to join the family. And since then, we've been uh, working together again. So it's been a it's been a great time. Let me ask you something, Erdal. Yep. Um, I've get I've asked it on the BBS stream, but let's uh, let's talk about it live. So both of us. So basically, when it comes to the conflict, basically both of us are uh, solution agnostics, I will say. Which means, for me, let me let me let me come back. I hear I hear my wife calling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all good. All good. Um, family first. Daniel, I see you're here. You want to hop on in the meantime? Yeah. Okay. What's hey. up, Daniel? How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Good. Where Where are you calling in from? Malta. Malta. Okay. Cool. I think you might you be know. our only our our only Maltin. Is it a Maltin? Is that what Maltese. what Maltese? My bad. You're you're all, our only Maltese uh, supporter, from what I know. But it's it's cool. It's cool to have uh, followers from all around the world. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's also small. cool seeing. Uh, Somebody from Malta have uh, their name in uh, Hebrew and Arabic, so that's kind of cool. Oh wait, I see, I see, I see. Nears back. I'll keep you on stream. I'm, I'm going to keep you on, uh, Daniel. But uh, let's let's finish the flow with uh, Nier, and then you could you could chime in. Daniel is one of my best Facebook friends, by the way. Cool. Yeah. Did, did you guys meet? Did you guys meet through Surcha? No. no, we met through a Facebook group. Israelis and Palestinians uh, uh, want peace, something like that. And then cool. we met on Sirkha. Cool, cool. <laughs> um, anyway, when it comes to being solution agnostic, that means to me, like Joseph Cohen said uh, once, I don't care if, uh, if we have one state, two state, 29 states, I just want peace. Well, I agree with that assumption, but but the problem is um, and I have my answer. I'd like to hear your. How can you uh, solve a problem which you don't care what what, uh, what the solution is going to be? Sure. So I think it's a great question. I think firstly, it's important to understand that there's a lot that needs to be done regardless of what the solution is. So our main focus at Sulha is really reconciliation. It's about both sides better understanding each other's narratives and coming together towards common ground. So regardless if we have a two states, federation, confederation, whatever it may be, the reconciliation process may ha must happen. So there's still immense work to be done regardless of what solution um, we go with. Secondly, I, I do consider myself solution agnostic, but I don't hold all solutions to be acceptable. So, for example, I think a one one binational state would would lead to disaster. I don't support that. I think we could have maybe get there after generations of peace, but not as a starting point. I also don't, for example, I don't support Mordechai Kedar's Emirati plan. I don't think that's a, a just solution, for example. But there are many solutions that I do view um, that that I do view as uh, legitimate, and I'm very happy to highlight all of those, put them front and center, and try to get real dialogue around uh, around those solutions. So I don't, I don't think we need to be stuck on one solution, because 
I think we need to be honest about the fact that there's more than one good solution. And also every solution has their own set of problems. So we should just be honest about um, the idea that there's more than one good solution, that all solutions have problems, and that no matter what the solution is, reconciliation is needed. And that's really the, the focus of, of our channel. So I think that's how, um, that, that's how we, we reconcile it. <clears throat> is I it real quick? Zachariah Kerner. Is that Zach Corner? Yeah, that's that's our good friend Zach. Um, he goes, "Is immense work a euf euphemism for never going to happen?" I mean, maybe in some cases, not 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 in this instance. I think there's, for example, you know, when they were building the Hoover Dam, that was immense work. It happened, right? So, you know, some some things are immense work, and and we end up doing them. Other times, I agree, it may be a, a euphemism, but no, that's not how I mean it. I totally agree with the assumption that uh, the most important thing is the reconciliation right now between the two uh, two types of people, you know, and that's uh, that's what we're working on in Sipurikaya, uh, as I mentioned before in the next of the stream, the the thought of raising the next generation of peacemakers from both sides, hopefully. We can reach more influence on the Palestinian side, that will be great. Uh, right now we are focusing on the Israeli side. Um, and that is my answer, my answer to my own question. The, the, the thought of, you need to think of the process instead of the solution. When you will, when you will create a better process and a better way then the solution will be a lot easier to to go through. You need to pave the way uh, for the solution, for it, for it to be possible. That's uh, that's at least my opinion. Yep, I, I I agree with that for sure. And you know, Nir, I, I I've been meaning to reach out. You know, I, I very much want to launch Sulcha in Hebrew and ultimately in Arabic. It's going to take time till we have both of those, but I want. Uh, three three YouTube channels, one for English, one for Hebrew, one for Arabic. And maybe we can discuss partnering up. We could bring uh, Sipu Hikaya in in order to do this. Um, you know, me working full time and all that, uh, I don't have capacity to start another channel now. Even just running this is hard. But I, I am looking to partner up with good like-minded people to, to do more content in languages that are more relevant to people living on the land. So um, mm -hmm. let, let, let's talk about that. Reach out and we'll uh, we'll uh, yeah. start moving the wheels. Sure. sure. I, I want I want to get to this question. Ayal Menashe, thanks for the question. Ayal goes, how do you determine which solutions are just and which are not? I mean, that's a good question. It really comes down to like a judgment call of the individual, and not everyone would agree with this. But I personally look at it as um, you you have two distinct populations living on the same land. Both of our populations deserve some form of self-determination and it's not really for the other side to say what that self-determination looks like unless their version of self-determination infringes on the rights of the other population so we need to accept that both sides deserve self-determination both sides um should be able to move freely with um throughout their land without being stopped um they should be able to self-govern they should be able to live with security and with the ability for prosperity, right? This is a framework we could we could use to see what a just solution looks like. And there's many solutions that that fall, um, you know, in, into such a framework. So so that's how I like to look at it: um, security, freedom, the possibility for prosperity, um, 
people's right to self-govern and self-determination seems like a, a pretty standard and, and good framework in which we could find just solutions. Right. Guys, I got to go. I got some work to do. Nir, thank Catch you so much. Bye-bye. We'll be in touch. Bye. Daniel. Hey. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. You know, we've chatted a bit on uh, Instagram and Discord. I'm happy to finally have you on here. Thank um, you. So, a follow-up question. Um, this, who represents the Palestinians for the purpose of self-determination? Fatah Hamas. I mean, th- this is a legit question. Palestinians are going to need to... Um, work to figure that out. And, and that might not be a, such a peaceful process. Currently, um, Israel has interest in maintaining the status quo. So, you know, we very much keep um, the PA in power um, through our cooperation with them. But if we were to take a step back, um, it's fair to say infighting would ensue. And it seems like Hamas would gain power, which probably would not lead to self-determination that is uh, willing to compromise with the other side. So yeah, we, we definitely have, we definitely have a problem that the power structures on the Palestinian side, if left to be, are not going to lead to a government that is going to be, um, willing to compromise and reconciliatory in their approach. Um, how do we actually get to a place where, where that's the, Palestinian government we're working with. I'm actually not quite sure. It's it's a, it's a process that will take time. I don't think Hamas is out of the question in terms of working with. I think any any um, political organization or even terrorist group can reform. Um, change is a constant. Any political body being static is actually um, novel, right? If you look at, for example, like the Democratic and Republican parties, how drastically they've changed the past few decades and even the past like hundred years, even more drastically. So political parties, organizations are constantly changing. So we we shouldn't um, be too fatalistic in how we, in how we view Hamas. Like right now where they're at, they're not a partner for peace. That's clear. Neither are the PA for that matter. But when push comes to shove, can we create certain environmental conditions that make them a partner for peace? I believe we can. How we get there, how long that takes, I'm, you know, I'm going to admit ignorance on this. I don't think anybody quite knows, but it's something we need to be uh, open to. Um, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, one more thing that Gerfoot said, because it's a good point. He goes, but Palestinians aren't interested in peace and reconciliation. reconciliation israel is neither to be honest it's about justice and pride for them it's about survival and renewal for us correct but this isn't mutually exclusive like peace and reconciliation it it it's part part of peace is allowing palestinians to feel like they get a good enough deal right and that doesn't mean the entire land from the river to the sea but um doing something that speaks to Palestinian pride and finding a solution that, that speaks to um, security for Israelis does not contradict the need for reconciliation. I, I think um, the, these two concepts are, are essentially intertwined, right? The Palestinian need for pride is because, because they feel like their enemy keeps defeating them. But if we're no longer their enemy, their sense of pride uh, changes, right? 
It, same with security. If we reconcile and Palestinians are no longer our enemy, our need for security starts to feel different. So I don't think those two things are contradictory. I think that reconciliation changes how they how Palestinians feel about pride and how we feel about um, a security. Yeah, Daniel, what's what's going on? What's up? What's on your mind? Hey, so hope you are well. So um, I'm curious. Um, as we've seen with the Israel-Palestine conflict, most people who speak are either Israeli Jews or Palestinian as Muslims. And I'm just wondering, like with all the other ethnicities in Israel and Palestine, have are any of their thoughts, their opinions on this whole conflict even ever mentioned or even discussed in any way? Are, are you ta- are you talking about minority groups that live uh, here on the land, like the Jewish population? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, I, yeah. I I think that you know what part of what makes um, Israel and Palestine such such an is- interesting place is the amount of diversity that that exists, you know, here on the land. And I think that all people should have a say in what the future of the land looks like. It's not, it's not just the conversation between Jewish Israelis and Palestinians. Everybody deserves a say in it. Everybody should be at the negotiating table. Um, everyone's, every group should have some kind of representative. That's why I actually like the Federation solution because what it does is it takes a very diverse landscape and it gives people a lot of local autonomy, you know, and the right for them to decide. Uh, what people in Tel Aviv do and what people in Jerusalem or Hebron or the Galilee do, you know, we, we should all not be trying to govern each other, rather let people self-govern. So that's why I lean towards federation. Obviously, it has its own set of challenges, but I, without a doubt, do think minority groups should be part of the conversation. I think with the one country solution, the problem is there are many Israelis that don't want their percentage as a population population to drop back to 50%. And I don't know, is this like a serious issue with many Israelis? What, for for Jewish Israelis to become a minority? Like be about only 50% of the country if the well, yeah. US is admitted in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime you're living in a democracy, you're going to have a demographic concern. Like even the most liberal people i mean they don't like to admit this point but you know ask like somebody living in california if they'd be happy with uh, a few hundred thousand trump supporters moving into uh, in, into uh, you know their county changing the, de- the the voting demographic you know the, the the same liberal that says demographic concerns are racist will be very concerned about trump supporters moving into their neighborhood so w- when you live in a democracy you're going to care about um demographics for jews it, it's it's even more important because most Jews do feel that they cannot ensure their security. Um, oh, wait, what, what's this comment that I brought up? Hold on. Hold on. I didn't realize that comment was still up. Sorry. Um, m- most Jewish Israelis do feel having demographic control is essential to ensure their security on this land. Um, we don't have such a great history being minorities, even today, right? We do see that there's uh, many in many places in Europe, people fleeing to, to come to Israel where where they feel safer. Um, and there's no reason to think that after a hundred years of conflict with the Palestinians, that everything's just going to be peachy 
day one, and then there's not going to be a need for a, some sense of vengeance or revenge. Certainly not amongst all Palestinians, but but enough to make it dangerous for Jews. And I don't think this is an unwarranted paranoia. I think this is a very legitimate concern to have. Uh, and if we want to talk about like less extreme demographic issues, let's just talk about social issues. So if we look at, let's take um, gay rights, for example. If you poll Israelis on their views on uh, gay rights, it's going to be vastly different than what you're going to see on the Palestinian side. If anything, you'll have the ultra-Orthodox be more aligned with Palestinians, right, on that issue. But on average, it's vastly different perspective on, on gay rights, on women women's rights. Um, so it also doesn't make sense that we should be in competition with one another on how you decide these these rights. Um, that, that's why, that, and that's truly why I object to a, a one binational state. We're all competing over control over one political system because of how very different our versions of government governance and self-determination actually is. We shouldn't be competing with one another. We should be living side, side by side, working together, cooperating. Um, the competition is going to create an unhealthy environment in, in my opinion. I think there's also the issue with how the media is going to portrayal all this, like if the media has a large effect on this conflict, as they think we can all agree on that. I can speak even for myself. Um, like for many years I have been against Israel and Jews because the first ever media I've ever searched on this issue was from an Arab source. Mm. So the first first vision of Israel, first vision of Zionism was always negative, and with that, it's not like you can. Right. So, so you, you used to be very anti-Israel, and now you you think you've become more moderate, more understanding of of the perspective. That's what happened. Yes, this past year. So, what? How did that change happen? Where Where did that come from? It's. I think it's either like with um, something simple, like I'm watching videos of people and I'm seeing them of Israelis, I mean, and they're just being normal people and they're not like the evil people that they are portrayed on these media. It's, you think like maybe I am being exaggerating and maybe I should try to see their perspective on things. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you had that transformation and it just shows the power of actually meeting people rather than just hearing stories on the news or from social media activists. Yeah. I think what, I just, your... like with the, when I was in these groups, like with many, there were some Israelis in those groups that countered any comments against Israel, but most of them were simply just them attacking people, not like trying to have a reasonable conversation. It's I think right. it's counterintuitive right. as well. Because you're like, well, what's the point of fighting someone if you're not willing to change your opinion? Like just calling them an idiot and that's it. It's True. going to make you hate them more. True. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, th this really speaks to what we're attempting to do here. It shows the power of change once you sit and speak to somebody rather than just hearing stories about that individual. So... You know, you, Daniel, are very much living proof of the impact 
meeting someone from the other side can have. So I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate I you sharing have, that. I even got the um, Israeli sudra on me. Oh, cool. Did you get that from Rudy? No, the one from Eliran. He had his own. Ah, version. Eliran. Okay, cool, cool. Very nice. Guys, I'm, I'm going to share the, the link in chat if anybody wants to hop on stream. I did see another question earlier from Zachariah. By the way, for those who don't know Zach, Zach unless unless the names are familiar, but I'm, I'm making a guess here. Zachariah is uh, Zach, Zach and Zach. You know those awesome debates? So Zachariah Kerner is the Zionist Jew who debates Zach Foster, the anti-Zionist Jew. But Zach, why, why is your last name spelled differently? Aren't you Corner, K-O-R-N-E? Why are you Kerner here? Have I been spelling your name wrong the whole time? Uh, let me know. So Zach asked me a question. Do you see yourself as a peace activist or as an educator or as an educator? I know you're going to say both, but if you had to choose one, you're right. I would say both. Um, if I had to choose one, I don't know if I can. I, I don't view them as so different. I think if the education you're focused on is um, has like a goal of positive societal change in mind, then you're you're by default both. But I guess if I had to choose one, I would say an, an activist because not everything I do is in the form of education. So sometimes like I very much am, am pushing like narratives and stories and I acknowledge that stories and narratives don't necessarily need to be um, extremely fact-based, right? Like our minds don't, don't interpret facts the way it interprets stories. So I'm very happy to push store reconciliatory stories um that, that i think are helpful let, let me just give you an example so like there's a there's a debate who's the indigenous people israelis and Palest or palestinians well it really depends on which definition of in, indigeneity you're using so like if we if it's really up up for definition fine then we're both indigenous why why do i choose that we're both indigenous because it makes the most sense for reconciliatory purposes, right? So the way I choose to define indigenous is with a goal in mind. It's because I want us to live here peacefully together. Um, again, I don't, I don't think this contradicts being an educator, but I think that it, um, it, it very much like speaks more to the activist uh, side. I'll reflect on it more, but that's like off the cuff how I feel about this. If I can say a few things before I um, need to leave. Yeah, so Zach, Zach corrects that that's your stage name. Okay, good to know. Zach Corner's your stage name. Fine. Uh, yeah, D Daniel, final thoughts? And then I see we have Ayal waiting in the waiting room. We'll bring Ayal on next. I think that important when someone decides to open up to their perspective or change, I mean, it's important to realize that's not going to happen all at once. It's slowly going to change and maybe you're slowly getting to more opinions of other people to see how the actual thoughts are. I think it's it's a gradual, people need to realize how changing perspective is actually more gradual and not just all of a sudden. There's also some things that, you know, just because you change, it doesn't mean you have to agree with the other side now completely. You can still keep to your own opinions. Like, for example, I see some Israelis say that the Palestine is a homeland is actually Jordan, not the West Bank for that part. I always disagree with that because 
from my perspective, it's a totally different thing. I also always also think it's important that, you know, when a Palestinian says that kill all Jews and stuff like that, you always have to counter that statement because, you know, it's not going to be productive as well. I think it's you have to learn to realize that the side you support it for so long, you have to realize when they are wrong and have to learn to actually... Yeah. Uh, so, like, if sometimes you might feel like a traitor if you tell them that they are wrong, but you have to, you know, if you want to help someone with peace, you have to tell them that they are whenever they are you know, yeah, doing yeah. something. The one thing I, that sometimes bothers me most is how I don't hate like someone for supporting Israel, but something that discourages my like how I changed how many support Israel based solely on thinking that if I support Israel, I'm hurting Muslims, like those anti-Muslim people only support Israel for that fact. You know, I think that's going to be like, there are many people who do this, and I think it's made some people think that supporting Israel is actually being Islamophobic in that way, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think you... Re- you you, you yeah, point to one. I don't even know that that Israel has a lot of Muslims in it, and they don't even know that. I probably right. Well, I think you point to one of the biggest challenges we have in in peacemaking. It's that people are very zero sum in how how they view things. Right? Like you can't like the whole idea of being pro Israel and Palestine. It's like what what does that mean? How could you be pro both? It's one or the other, you know. And and that's very much how our mind is like built. It's like black and white. Uh, with us or against us, right, right and wrong. We're we're very binary minded, and it makes probably has some uh, good evolutionary benefit. Because if it didn't, we probably wouldn't be like that. But it, it it is hard to make sense of a complex world when we're so binary minded. And you know, the, the work of educators and activists is to really help people move move through that binary minded um, zero sum thinking that very much is uh, present in in uh, these spaces. So yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I appreciate. Just, yeah, it goes more than just Israel Palestine. Can even be like with polit- po- any politics, you know? Like when, yeah. when no, no, it's when uh, it's across the board. It's across the yeah. board and in politics. Well, I like mean, when another group says one thing, you might react that way. When your group says the exact same thing, you might be more supportive. You know, it's correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very much relevant in. Uh, politics and then all ideological issues across the board it's not not exclusive to israel palestine um cool daniel Th- thank you so much for sharing your thoughts i'm happy we finally got the chance to to speak uh one-on-one hopefully maybe you see see you in malta one day uh yeah i you know i um i have a goal to go to every country in the world so malta is definitely one of them so yeah hopefully so. our language is not italian it's actually a semitic language Oh, interesting. When you speak English, you have a slight like Italian accent, so it it, it it's probably similar in how it sounds. But that's I'd actually want to hear more about that at some point. It's Thank mostly that. Remember, think about it as Tunisian with a bit of Italian. Hmm. Interesting. You learn something new every day. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Talk soon. Hey, y'all! I'm bringing you on. You ready?
Hey, y'all, what's up? Hey, Adar. Um, so I wanted to chat about a couple of things. I don't know what would be more interesting for you. First, uh, so one topic would be like the direction of the of the channel as a whole of the of, of the whole thing and specifically i wanted to like be interested if are you planning to go stream on more platform bring more audiences um twitch and the likes that we one topic the other topic we kind of started talking about earlier uh, i was interested in was from a solution perspective and talking a little bit about um you know which solutions are are just and because specifically I, I i don't love all the confederation federation solutions so i was wondering to hear a little bit more about it from from your your point of view sure um so let's start with the first one i'm, I'm very happy to talk about the direction of the channel it's something i put fair amount of thought into so i'd be happy to hear your input uh people are asking if ayal is my boss my boss's name is ayal and he was in the comment section but no this is not the same ayal um so yeah, and Ayal, if you can, maybe it will be too hard for you to do now, but next time you come on, give yourself um, a profile picture. It could be anything, just so um, the, the visual effect of the stream is, is a little bit nicer. Okay, got it. Sorry. Sure. All good, all good. So yeah, let, let, let's talk about the direction of the channel. You, you have like a, a question you want to ask yeah, or some thoughts? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so here's the thing, right? So I'm an avid uh, Twitch viewer. I love Twitch, okay? And, and I've seen a few streams recently that are kind of focused around Israel-Palestine getting a lot of traction. Now, I am aware that this is... The topic here is to get Israelis and Palestinians together. And if you're going to bring a bunch of Americans and whatnot into the mix, you might, you know, make the conversation shift more than you want. But on the flip side, I think that if you get more viewership, you could maybe... You know, you you mentioned earlier that you're barely keeping this channel alive, right? So you might be able to, you know, have more more time invested in, in the channel and at all. Not that, I, by the way, I think what everything that you're doing here is amazing, and I really truly appreciate your hard work so far. Um, so yeah, that's what my thought. Did you think to try to in, increase this through Twitch? Yes. Yeah, so. First of all, thank you, Ayala. I, I appreciate it. Sorry, I got distracted. There's a cat chasing a cockroach. It's, it's hard to not get distracted by that. But So we actually do stream this already to Twitch. We stream it to Twitch, to Twitter, to Facebook. But I, I, don't, I don't promote those other channels because it seems like most people in the demographic that are interested in this content, less of them are on Twitch. If you have ideas for how we could get like more of a Twitch market share, then um, you know I'd be very very happy to do that. I I'm not on Twitch much, but there's like there's a few Twitch shows that I've seen, and and some of the inspiration to do what we do here actually came from Twitch. So I'm I'm I've been inspired by Twitch and what they do. Um, I I watch some of Destiny's content. I watch it on YouTube, but I I like hearing his perspective on things. Um, I like how they sometimes will do like a five even ten person roundtable yeah. session. And I've seen uh, the Austin show where he does uh, lo <laughs> lo lover lover host, which is super entertaining. Like that dude's a fucking genius. Um, huh? No, no, I'm I'm uh, live streaming on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, live streaming on YouTube. All bloomers here. Huh? 
I grew up in America, but I'm Israeli. What, what about you guys? Yeah, we do. We do um, conversations between Israelis and Palestinians. That's. כן, ערבי ישראלי או פלסטיני ישראלי, איך אתה מזדהה? תלוי, כן, כן. אני ממתין, אני מחכה, הכל טוב. זהו, אז אם זה מעניין אתכם, קוראים לערוץ סולחה, S-U-L-H-A, סולחה. וכל הרעיון זה ישראלים ופלסטינים באים לשיחות אחד על אחד. עכשיו, אנחנו עושים את זה באנגלית, כי זה השפה המשותף בין ישראלים ופלסטינים. אבל הרעיון בקרוב להתחיל לעשות סולחה בעברית בין יהודים וערבים ישראלים. אז אולי תמצאו אותי ונהיה בקשר על זה, זה יכול להיות מעניין. יכול להיות גם סוגיות מעניינות. אה? לגמרי. לגמרי, כן. תרשמו S-U-L-H-A ביוטיוב, אתם תמצאו אותי. ביי חבר'ה. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so we, we were talking about yeah I just want to just yeah. sometimes you know I'm in the marine in a public place and some people get interested by what we're doing and for some reason there's a lot of Israeli Arabs that hang out in this area so they were Israeli Arabs and it, it just it's interesting I asked how if he identifies as Israeli Arab or Palestinian Israeli and he said it really just it depends and I, I we, we have a lot of discussion about this in our discord and, and I, I thought it was interesting because I think that Our identities are very malleable and dependent on where we are and, and who we're speaking to but um it's cool you know they got excited about it hopefully we have some new followers and uh <laughs> hopefully you know may, maybe they'll even come on the show at, at some point so yeah hey the cool. more the merrier that, yeah that, exactly that, that was the point the more the merrier actually I think what what the way I wanted to direct you to was um aristocracy I don't know if you've seen that channel um no not familiar so she's is Israeli but For, I think he was born in Israel but lives in Canada and now she's streaming a lot of Israeli Palestinian content and I think that got a lot of viewership the thing about which is that this topic it's very hard to discuss you know for Americans if, if you if you've not lived the, this world much it's really hard to get to the depth of it right like to understand the different sects of Judaism different like Sunni Shia Fatah Hamas, Um, you know different political parties it, it's and that's without you know talking about anything else there's so much to talk about this conflict is so complex and and a lot of people are interested in that so I don't know my, my, my two cents is tr- if you could try to bring more content to American audiences I'm sure they will bite some of it so do, what, what do you think like a good strategy to, to actually do that do you think that it's worth reaching out to these people people twitching israel palestine content and offering yeah. to come on their show collaborating yeah for sure so so if you if you don't mind helping me out with it and maybe just giving me a few names and depending yeah. how much free time you have even if you want to reach out to them and say hey you know there's there's this guy on youtube or he's on twitch too maybe you guys want to chat um as as much as much as you could help if yeah, if you know sure. if your time's limited you could just give me the names and i'll reach out or one of our sulha interns will reach out so Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. I, I think there's a lot of energy in the Twitch community. And it's been, I've, I've been wanting to break into it more. It's just, you know, it's hard. how do you, yeah, how do you, like we, we have the, on Twitch here, let me, let me share Twitch, the, our Twitch profile. 
it's actually under my name. It's not even under Sulha, but we have four subscribers, four followers, and that's from no promotion. So I guess people randomly will find the stream and come on. But four, <laughs> four, not much, you know. We mm -hmm. we have like right now we have zero people. Oh, we have one one person watching on Twitch. Okay, oh, hey. After we talked about it. <laughs> Hey guy, whoever's there, good, good to see you here. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great idea. I'd, I'd love to break out. I mean, we, you know, if I look at like our our vision for the channel, part of it comes down to really expanding into other platforms and way deeper into the American market. But uh, very much, you know, I, I try to keep my focus oriented on like uh, what will create the biggest impact. And I, I think the U.S. audience is important. If I if um, to make this sustainable and if I could live off of it. Yeah. But for the impact, we need to reach more Israelis and Palestinians. And that's why eventually we're going to open a Hebrew and an Arabic channel. Um, oh, our, our viewer on Twitch, uh, K-Town SK, commented, I gotcha. So <laughs> good, good to see you, K-Town. There we go. So K-Town, uh, tell your friends about us on Twitch. We're trying to... Oh, is this LearnThink? Oh, oh, learn think who just moved from YouTube to Twitch. Okay, um, d different name. Um, that's funny. So yeah, t tell your friends on Twitch about us for sure. Um, cool, cool. All right, so I I I will I will send in the the couple names I've been thinking of. Um, so. Uh, a few more minutes, if if you don't mind to talk yeah, about sure, some, sure. some solution stuff like that. So, actually, I, I feel like it's kind of funny because this this channel is very like, let's get together and talk. And in some in some ways, I feel like I've been a little bit moved to the right, um, Israeli right, by by the channel. Um, Interesting. And it's beca because I heard some Palestinian opinions, which were a little bit hard to swallow. <laughs> um, I've heard other people have a similar similar experience to you, so yeah. yeah. But but that that's kind of but that's good because it makes you think, right? It made me think, and my thought was something like this: We just discussed the uh, I, I sent a few comments earlier about you know who who do you agree or not agree with? So you mentioned um, if. If solution is just, you will consider it, right? And in that way, I think you mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned it per se, but it sounds sometimes like you do prefer federational confederation over two-state solution. Is that right? Um, yeah, because I think it, I think if you look at, at what the populations want, um, the majority of Palestinians and a little bit, it seems like around 50% of Israelis don't want to partition the land. So it's kind of taking into consideration what the people want. And um, that being said, I do see a lot of benefit to having two distinct nations with two distinct governments. So it seems like a confederation can kind of um, keep, create two separate governments, but at the same time, um, make it easier for those who don't want to partition the land to accept such, such a solution. So, in, in that case, let me let me ask you an hypothetical. Then, do you think that if Yasser Arafat accepted Camp David, or if Abu Mazen accepted um, Olmert in two thousand and eight, do you think that the state of Israel and Palestine would be better now or worse now? I would. I would. I think it would be better because I think that 
this th- there's a certain psychological toll that comes when you're being controlled by a foreign power that is mm-hmm. hard to measure in like material it, it's not like quantitative you, you you can't measure it right so like looking at in, like gdp or um or uh the economy of palestine it's possible the economy of Palestine would be worse if Palestinians had were fully autonomous. I don't know, but let's let's assume it was worse. I think even if their economy was worse, they might still be better off because the psychological toll that that um, that military occupation plays on them is hard to account for, and um, I, I, I think that's why a lot of the misery in Palestinians comes from knowing that. Th- th- there's another power whom they happen to hate who is in control over their borders and sometimes their movement and has the ability to expand territory and sometimes arrest uh, for days and hold for days without trial. So I think just, just taking that out of the equation and allowing Palestinians to be governed by their own people, even if their government was oppressive and even if their economy was worse than it is now, I think that they'd still be ultimately better off. Um, that being said, I'm not convinced that their economy would would be worse if they were fully aut- autonomous. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, so I, I was about to say that <clears throat> I do believe that everything would be better, right? I, I I truly believe that if they took either of these of those deals, both the Palestinians' lives, the Israeli lives, and the conflict at large would have been improved, right? Yeah, I think it's definitely a fair assumption to make. I, I can't say for sure. Like, um, it's hard well, to know what the internal sure, po- right? like. Yeah. It, it's possible that they would have a very oppressive government and that their economy wouldn't be succeeding. Right? Like, th- this might be, but I I do agree that even if that was the case, it would still be better net net total. Yep, and 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 yeah. actually, I'll, I'll say that I believe that their economy would have would have been improved too, because you know what, war is terrible for the economy, it's and true. even and even Israel could have been so much better off without the cost of war, right? So. That, that said, right, if we believe those, and, and those are two state solutions, right, why why do we think that, you know, a confederation or a federation is better off? And, and I'll say another thing about it, because the, the thing about federation, confederation is to appease certain parts of the population that, you know, right now don't like land swaps or, the, or, or don't like the, dividing the land. When in most likelihood, Right, living together on the land, at least for the first few years, is going to be very tough. Right. So the the term I, I hear from Jews always is we are afraid of genocide. Right. Uh, I, and and I'm I, and I'm sure that Arabs have their own fears. Um, so that that said, I just can't imagine a, a, those solutions being better than two state solution. After after being said that. You know, if they took the two-state solution, everything would have been better. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think that. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I think that most Palestinians today would, if they could go down back to like the forty-seven partition plan, they would take it in a heartbeat, right? Well, and yeah. I think, and I think many of them, if they could go back to Oslo or Camp David, I think they would, they would take that in a heartbeat. Um, but. It seems like, and this Or Halamish made the point when he was on the show a few weeks ago, he said, you know, both sides think that um, it's a waiting game and eventually that they will prosper. So I think Palestinians very much are in, in the mindset of all or nothing and we just need to wait wait it out. You know, maybe it'll take 
50 years, maybe it'll take 100 years, but eventually Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. And I can't say for sure that that won't work, but it's um, it's like an all, it's all or nothing. It's very risky. And if you I were to give somebody sure that, that won't work, what do you mean? Well, th- there's there's no guarantee that, like, we, we don't know that Israel will be able to continue to to be an ex- exclusive Jewish state for a hundred years. We like, how can anybody predict what where we'll be in a hundred years? You know, um, I, I think it's more likely that the longer the conflict continues, the worse off it's going to be for Palestinians. If I were to have to guess, or if I were to, let's say you had like a betting, betting odds on it, if I'd put my money on that. But um, there is some chance that, that Palestinians, if they continue this, uh, call it a war of attrition, will prosper. Like I'm not, I can't say with full confidence that that's not the case. But as what I would tell Palestinians as a friend and as a neighbor is you're you're risking and a grave risk not a little risk you're risking any chance for palestinian statehood the longer that you you fight israel so the sooner um palestinians compromise and and acknowledge that israel is here to stay the better off they'll be and if we look at, at the past 70 plus years you know that notion seems to be true um but can i guarantee 100% that it's true no because you know, a hundred years is a long time, and it's it's unclear how things are going to play out. Okay, I, I mean, I would say that the uh, nation states do come and go, right? That does happen. Um, it's not impossible. But what we've yet seen is a nation state with nuclear power come and go. That would would be a terrible thing for the region, right? Um, so I hope that that doesn't happen because that 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 would probably mean somebody's got this massive power in their hands that it's not a nation state anymore. Yeah, I mean, I I agree that it would be a disaster, but I don't know if it being a disaster changes the likelihood of it happening or not. You know, because the, the the world moves so fast today that like a hundred years is like. I mean, historically, it's nothing. It's it's yeah, you know absolutely. just it's a, it's a blink of an eye. But the world is going to be so different in a hundred years that no one can accurately predict what it's going to look like. I mean, the the nation state may be fifty years outdated in a hundred years' time, right? So it's it's unclear what the future holds. So, um, you know, I I try to be honest enough with the idea that we really don't know. But I I do agree with you that a, a nuclear power that um, loses sovereignty, and then it's unclear where the nuclear weapons go. Yeah, I mean that's probably not, <laughs> probably not a good thing. Um, and I think that any solution that hap- is created by force isn't going to be good for one population or the other. So I- I'd like to see a solution where both sides consent to, um, and that's going to take compromise. No one's going to get everything they want, and that's the um, other half, right? So I-, I I totally agree about the getting somebody to come to terms on an agreement they might not fully love the the question is then who will not love it from each side right so we talked about who represents the palestinians in in any negotiations or any sort of agreement right and right now it's kind of hard to say right yeah yeah somebody's gonna have to 
make tough decisions, who that person is, is unclear. Uh, yeah, cor correct. Correct. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're in agreement there. All right, cool. So, like, does that kind of a answer, like, wh where, why I lean more towards federation and, and confederation, generally speaking? Like, I'm not, I'm not opposed to two states. I just think that the forces on the ground are just opposed to it. And, and I think that, again, if we're talking about consent and agreement, then it would be easier to find some kind of a hybrid solution. I, I just think that you're more likely to get both sides to agree in, in a, some form of a hybrid solution. So I, I just would say that I hold the opposite idea that I think that it will be easier to get people to agree to a solution leaders agreed on, right? So it's very hard to get a population out of, you know, we believe X or Y without a major shift on the ground. Um, and I think that that closely held idea that, oh, we got to have, have it all, it's just not going to happen, right? Like that river to the sea dream. You're right. If it's not, not going to happen, then something else needs to happen, right, to, to make any positive movement. And that something else, in my mind, needs to be the two-state solution, right? It needs to be, okay, so we're dividing the land now, and if you still got problems with that, that that's unfortunate right and people will come to terms with it later um, yeah because in, in, in any solution people will will have to say that line right that's unfortunate right i i mean so I, I i agree with you i just think that there's certain solutions that like if we could lower the amount of people objecting to it because even if leaders come to a solution that doesn't mean there's not going to be some uh infighting rebellion violence right it seems like whatever the solution is, there's going to be people objecting and there might be some amount of violence. So if we could reduce the amount of people objecting, I think we're going to be better off. And I think the hybrid solutions probably um, will reduce the amount of people objecting. Okay, fair enough. I have to run now, but appreciate the talk. And we'll let you know about those channels I thought about yeah th thank you Ayal. I, I very much appreciate you coming on and sharing and giving uh you know ideas for how we could uh you know extend reach you could you could if you don't already you could find my contact information uh in the description here there's a link tree there so just reach out on any of the social platforms and we'll, we'll chat and cool. uh I'd, I'd be happy to have you come on again so cool whenever you. you want talk soon talk soon bye bye Nir, I see you're back. I'll bring you on in a minute. I just, uh, we got a super chat from LearnThink. Good to see you uh, back over here from Twitch. Although I see we still have one Twitch viewer. LearnThink giving us five Canadian dollars. What do you think about Palestinian people who are being forcefully evicted from their homes? Thank you so much for the $5 super chat. Um, I mean, evictions generally, like I, I'd like to see that not happen. Um, not all evictions happening on the land are the same. I don't fully understand the legal status of every eviction. So I'd need to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. But generally speaking, evicting someone from their home is, is a form of injustice. It causes immense pain to the people um, being evicted. Um, it seems like the way the system is built is that Palestinians are far more likely to be evicted than Israelis. And that should obviously change. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, so, somebody's home is, is really somebody's security. It's their comfort. It's often their livelihood. So taking that from somebody is quite devastating and something we should try to not do. Um, I, I hope that answers your question. Thank, and thanks again for the super chat. Nir, I will... Um, I'm, you ready to come back on? Cool. Hey, man, can I share with you what I'm doing right now as we speak? Yeah, sure. Even though it's not really related to the context, to the conflict or something like that, but I am working on my new website, which will be sportsfanstraveling.com, which will be a website uh, to, for, to, to experience all types of... Uh, Sports traveling from sports bars, from getting into sp- stadiums, you know, every fan experience that you can think about, this website will be a part of it. And the reason I'm telling you about it, because one of the things that I think is missing when we're talking about the, co- the conflict is seeing what Daniel talked about, Israelis and Palestinians talking about their dreams, their goals, their real life. Uh, seeing them as human being. I'm a human being that is now uh, starting his entrepreneurship ways and chasing after a dream to to create my own uh, website, my own business, and to, inshallah, as they say, uh, grow and grow and reach. Uh, uh, because I, I do work in this field, but, but, but uh, in a company, not as an, as an employer, not as a, not as a, not as an independent and uh, you know inshallah uh, i will be able to reach to big big clubs and uh, create uh, deals with you know some hotels some airline companies you know to see someone chasing his dream i think is very very important when you talk about uh, two countries you know fighting together you see human beings and and it's very important to for for the other side to see to see it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, I I wish you best of luck on your on your venture. I I, I always appreciate the entrepreneurial spirit, and um, I think generally speaking, uh, it'd be cool to see like more Israelis and Palestinians getting into business together. You know, if we could build more like shared economic ties, I think that's. Uh, that's a great force of uh, peace building. So, yeah, sure thing, sure thing. I'm, I'm in my uh, vision. I, I, I would like to see some uh, Palestinians uh, share their experience about going to a Maccabi Haifa game in Europe, for example. Right. You no, know, right. Think about it. It, it can be very, yeah. very interesting. And send, send me, send me a link. I'd be happy to talk more about it. Um, give you my thoughts. You know, I've been working in the high tech space for quite some time now. So I have some, some perspective. I'd be happy, happy to talk more about it. All right. All right. So keep on keeping on. Just is, is the, is the website up already? Tw- give me 24 hours. <laughs> so w- on the, on the next call and show, you could come on and you could do a screen share and you could show it to uh, the community. Cool. Ah, cool. Thank you very much. Awesome, bro. Yeah, Talk it's soon. supposed to be ready until Black Friday. Black Friday is the due date, right? Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Black Friday's coming up. Yeah. What a day. What a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye, man. Thanks. Awesome, Nair. Thank you.
I shared the the StreamYard link if anybody else wants to join. Um, let's see. Off kilter, you asked. No Palestinians called in yet. No, not yet. I know Rajia told me she wants to join. Rajia is our Palestinian British uh, community member who's become a good friend the past few months. She want, has a bone to pick with me about um, us platforming Adam Green on uh, November 18th. Adam Green is a pretty big uh, channel on BitChute. Um, most Jews would consider him to be very anti-Semitic. Adam claims he's not anti-Semitic. Jake, I see you here in the waiting room. Put on a profile picture just so you look all nice and stuff or or turn your camera on. Um, so Raji is pretty upset that we're uh, um, pretty upset that we're platforming Adam Green, and she was going to come on and and make the case why we shouldn't, and try to convince me otherwise. I don't know where she is, but maybe she'll come on because I'm very happy to have that conversation with her. Um, but until then, uh, and no, uh, yeah, so far no Palestinian. Marudels <clears throat> um, asks. Adar, what are the chances of getting a marketing job in Israel with just speaking English? So in Tel Aviv, you know, there's there's a lot of high-tech companies where I, I don't think you need to speak great Hebrew to get. I, I think it's possible. You could definitely land land a job at a, at a at a startup here with just English. People do it. Like one of my closest friends doesn't have great Hebrew and he he kills it in, in the VC world. Um so yeah, you could do it. You can do it. And if you attempt to, I you know I wish you the best of luck on that journey. Jake, ooh, nice car. You ready to come on? Huh? Okay, wait, hold on. I'm seeing uh, MK Matt goes. Sulham, a member of Den of Nerds. What crazy to hear the community talking about. You with the BBS Project Small World. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Den of Nerds is one of our most active communities on BBS. So wait, MK Matt, were you familiar with Sulha prior? Or did you find about us through BBS? What What's the connection uh, between this? Because that, that's kind of cool to see a nice, nice little uh, overlap. Regardless, it's good to see you here. Jake, I'm bringing you on. What's up, man? Can you hear me? Jake, yeah, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I just got here late, I'm sorry. All good, all good. Good to finally be uh, speaking to you. Uh, we've uh, chatted a bit on Discord, but I'm, Yo, I'm happy time. you're finally joining for a live stream. Yeah, I know. I was just going to say um, about the Confederation. Do you think it would really work? Like, how would, like, the one government work? Like, you know what I mean? You know how you said it's two separate governments? How would, like, the national government work? So I, I think that a confederation would only be two governments. There'd be an, an Israeli government and a Palestinian government. And um, what makes it a confederation is like shared cooperation. Maybe there could be like a dual security force. Um, you could have pretty open borders, kind of like you have in Europe, which, of course, we would need security for. Yeah. But it, so it would be two distinct cover, governments that are really in like – deep cooperation with one another it's really just like a a friendlier version of the two-state solution right less cold and it's possible it's possible that it starts as two states and slowly warms up to a confederation right that may be what needs to happen when it comes to like what the dual government this i I think rafi gassel is better equipped to respond to this because he he wrote up 
or Emmanuel Shachaf as well, people who have written up federation plans. But the whole idea is that there would be three governments, one Israeli, one Palestinian, one dual government. The dual government would be 50-50 representation on both sides. And uh, you have like a sophisticated system of checks and balances to ensure that um, people's rights are not being infringed on. So I think that's generally speaking at what it's meant to, what a federation is meant to look like. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, yeah. But also, like, would there be like something to keep Israel Jewish, like in a national government? You know what I mean? Wait, so what, one more time. I said, like, so you said, like, there would, like, the national government, they would also protect to make sure people's rights are protected, right? Correct. And I said, would there also be something to keep Israel Jewish? Like, would they have, like, like a, I don't know how you would say it, like a, um. Well, yeah, yeah. so the idea is that you would have an Israeli government, which would be, like, the Jewish representation, and the Palestinian government would be the Palestinian representation, and, um. So essentially, in a federation, you're you're going to have the land is going to be both Israeli and Palestinian intertwined into one another, oh. and and the system of checks and balances is what's meant to keep people's um, you know rights from being infringed on. So, I um again, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a state that is Jewish and Palestinian intertwined within one another. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's how. Yeah. What about the Palestinian right of return? Would they still do that? Oh, no. Again? Sorry, my mic is kind of low. I was going to say, like, what about the Palestinian right of return? Would that be also, like, implemented too? Yeah, so I think different federation solutions uh, try to approach this differently. But if you look at it, like, this land is split up into different cantons or, or states. Like, cantons is what you have in Switzerland and states is what you have in the United States. Um. You could very possibly have it being on a state level. So certain cantons can decide to allow for, they can decide what their yearly immigration numbers will look like. Um, And I imagine that you're going to have a pretty vast difference in how different, um, different cantons view immigration. Um, Because again, in a democracy, demographic concerns are are pretty legitimate. So I think that is, um, that, that's probably how it would look like. So most likely the Palestinian majority cantons will give right of return and the Jewish majority ones, there's a less likelihood of that happening, or maybe they will give a right of return, but it'll be very limited in, in numbers. Right. I, I probably see it playing out something like that. I mean, I mean, I still don't think like right of return would still be realistic in a confederation because you can't just have like 5 million people coming all at once. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I say w- whatever form of right of return uh, needs will happen. It will need to be within a framework of um, a manageable uh, immigration. So, first of all, I don't think five million is really the amount of Palestinians that will want to come. You know, Palestinians that are currently living in in like first world countries, I think a lot of them would just rather stay there where they have a livelihood, where you know their lives are are good. I, I don't think we're gonna have Five million, but but let's just say you have a million. Israel currently lets in, not lets in, but has around thirty thousand. I believe the number is thirty thousand Jews yeah, moving to Israel 30, every year. Yeah, we could, we could probably handle a, a fair bit more. So let's say 
let's say, even in a one-state solution, whatever the solution is, Israel could say, you know, we're going to cap 60,000 new immigrants a year. This is what we could handle in terms of like um, um, processing them in terms of infrastructure, in terms of what the economy can sustain. So we'll allow in 60,000 and that'll be 30,000 Jews, 30,000 Palestinians, right? So that's like a solution where you do allow for a right of return where you don't have um, hundreds of thousands of people coming a year um, causing both demographic concern and uh, economic issues. So I would probably yeah. see it. I I'd probably see it playing out like that. Yeah. And I'm just saying, plus Israel would also have to like help these people like look for jobs because a lot of them are refugees and like don't have any like working experience and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like, no, you know, no, no, no like sane immigration policy. I know in, in the U S politics, it's, it's, in recent years been painted as like a far right position to care about yeah, the yeah, borders. Yeah. You, you must be like a radical, but that that's honestly, it's, that's dumb. That that's, that's yeah. a mistake I think the left is making and they've been making a lot of mistakes lately. It, it seems like, like five years ago, I, I, when I looked at the state of the Republican party, I'm like, dude, there's no way the Republican party will be legitimate in a decade because yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it just seemed, it, they didn't seem to be, you know, with the times. Um, and then the Democrats are like, hold my beer. Let me show you how ridiculous we, we can be. And the, the the Democrats keep the Republicans relevant because of how garbage of a party they they also are. And one of them is demonizing people who think that sane immigration is 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 um, is somehow racist. And there's a whole whole bunch of other yeah. stuff when it comes to like racial and other social justice issues where where I think that they're getting it wrong and alienating uh, Americans. So. But but yeah yeah same immigration every country should be able to decide their immigration policy no one should need be forced to let in whatever amount of people. Um, that that being said, I, you know I do think that living in a first world country is a great privilege, one that people did not work hard for. So like me being born in a first world country, what why do I deserve that privilege while people are born in a third world country and get so much less? Yeah, so uh, we we do need to be considerate to this, and I think you know, uh, wealthy nations should work to, in a peaceful way, build developing nations so they have a better quality of life. The solution is not to, to bring everyone in because then you not only do you not help those countries, but you put too much strain on your own country. And if you believe in like being a social democracy with the social safety net where you're getting like healthcare and education. So obviously you know, when you have these social services, you're going to incentivize, obviously people want free services, but a, a, a country cannot um, sustain unlimited amount of people in, uh, on the social system. So yeah, by by, just, by letting people in, you just reduce the quality of life uh, for people living in the first world. What I would prefer to see is first world countries taking some percentage of, of their budget and spending it to build the developing world, because it's not it's not fair that first world countries have so much more. It's that I didn't, we, we didn't work hard. Like I didn't work hard to live yeah. in, be born in first world country. It's just chance. Um, I, and I'd like to see our military budget. I, I'd like to see us like stop the, the arms race, which is just a, a huge waste of resources and spend what we're spending on the arms race to spend it in building countries uh, that need it more. And also rebuilding like our own countries. Like America's in many ways is a failing nation, you know, yeah, the infrastructure. So, is horrible. In yeah. The the infrastructure. Yeah. America needs a huge infrastructure. Um, plan and um 
the, the the infrastructure of the military is doing very well you know so yeah, let's let's let's, re, let's rebuild america and let's try to help build countries that that have people who are struggling and who want to who want to immigrate yeah yeah, yeah of mm-hmm. course i th- i think about like i don't mean to get into america real quick but can you still hear me yep I was going to say, I think like 20, 30 years ago, America was a great country because we were ahead of everybody. But I think nowadays with like what you said with both of the parties and stuff and like just a lot of like, like it is becoming a failed state. They don't even have free health care here or nothing. Yeah, yeah. America. And I mean, if you look at like the homelessness issue, like yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's horrible. Go to, like go to San Francisco. It's it's sad. It's sad to see what's. Yeah. What's going on there and and, uh, and other cities, yeah. It's have to see what happens to this country. But I was also going to say about, like, about the military spending. I think, for example, like, I think, I think countries like Israel, there's really a reason to spend a lot of money on military because look at the surrounding nations and the surrounding area. You know what I mean? Like, the United States is different. Like, oh, I, I, I think by enemies I, and stuff. I, I agree. I think, I think Israel faces a, a legitimate, um, existential threat like i think israel's um military budget is legitimate but i do think our main our maintained um occupation of the west bank costs us a lot of money that we should find a way you know like the 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 sooner the sooner we could find a a way towards peace and 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 i i recognize that our military forces there um keep the jews living there safe and they probably act they probably act as counter-terrorist units, but I also think they also fuel the next generation of terrorists as well. So I'm I'm not convinced their their counter-terrorist measures are are, are worth it. But um, it, it, Israel has a need for a military, but you know Israel should work to a future where they don't need they're not in as much need of a military, and where they could also um, invest that money into their own people. There's something like. Thirty to forty thousand Holocaust survivors living in Israel who are in poverty, right? Like well, how? I didn't how even know that. Yeah, like that's that's horrible. How can you even justify something like that? Like, out of yeah. all people, Holocaust survivor. I know. Um, but yeah. Oh, sorry. You gonna say something real quick? No, no. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, the occupation in the West Bank needs to end because not only does like it make us look bad around the world, it ruins our reputation, but eventually there's going to get to a point where we can't pull out of the West Bank. And I say this, if Israel wants to remain a Jewish state, we have to leave the West Bank. Like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, it's interesting because those who, those, the, the Israelis that want a one state solution the most are the ones who are the strong, who very much want a Jewish state, but they're the ones who are threatening a Jewish state by pushing a one state solution. I agree completely. Yeah. Cause we, before I- before I joined this discord, I was one of those people. I, I thought that like, you know, we should just annex the West bank and just be done with it. But then like, you know, I heard the other side and then I realized that like, you know, Israel would just become an apartheid. If we annex the entirety of the West bank, Correct. you have to think of it like this. Those Palestinians are not going to accept Israel. Like we can't give them citizenship. They're going to, re- they're going to resist and it would just be horrible. And then we would, become de facto apartheid that's why I think exactly we should, that's why we should go back to 67 borders i mean yeah. maybe the, maybe the confederation would work but i think the best bet is to go back to 67 borders and like you know and where the green line is there should be like a un like peacekeeping force alongside with like israeli soldiers and stuff that's my solution to it yeah 
that that all sounds re- reasonable to me. But I definitely agree with you. The the problem of the the one state, and not to mention, um, not only will it be the death of the Jewish state, but um, Palestinians deserve their own self determination. So yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Cool, Jake. Um, any any last thoughts before we uh, wrap it up here? I see Paulina. If you're going to be, I see you're waiting. If you want to come on with no video, just give yourself an avatar. I know already it's going to be your cat, but uh, yeah, let's get that up. Uh, no, nah, I think that was it. I think I discussed what I wanted to. So yeah, thank you for having me on. By the way, yeah, so, cool, Jake. I, I I appreciate you coming and sharing, and I'd like I'd love to have you back at some point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll come on whenever if you let me come back on. I'll come on yeah, for, for a video sure. or something. All right, awesome. So, sounds good, man. Paulina, real quick before we bring you on, I just see a question by Alram uh, Sulha. Hi, keep up the good work. But Adar, don't you think that th- this demographic fear is one of the root cause of the conflict? Yeah, I very much think it is. I, I think it's probably the the root uh, the root cause of the conflict. I think if there wasn't a demographic concern, then um, most other things would be made easier when it comes to solving the conflict, without a doubt. Um, Rudos asks, what are the rules of uh, calling in? Anyone can call in. Our general topics, Israel, Palestine, but um, you could, we could talk about other topics. There's, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in many topics. It's just being Israeli. This is the one that is close to home and heart and that I have legitimacy speaking on because I'm, I'm affected by it and live here. So, um, MK Matt, I see your response to that. Uh, you were a Sulha community member and also a member of Den of Nerds, and these crazy worlds have collided. Cool, yeah. Yeah, small world, great. Tell the whole Den of Nerds community about us. Let's bring those people in. Um, Suna, Naza, am I picking questions from the YouTube chat? Yeah, I am, and uh, I'll, we try to get everything, but obviously we prioritize Super Chats, so let's get those Super Chats going, crew. Um, Paulina, ready to come on? Cool. Paulina, good to see you. Hi. I have hey. my cat for tasks. <laughs> yeah, there we go. He doesn't I, want to go I, on one, more, one, one more comment. Uh, Garefoot goes, Adar is a closeted anti-imperialist. Am I closeted, though? I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty vocal in, in being anti-imperialism. But, uh, yeah, maybe. You could l- elaborate on that. I'm interested in uh, in hearing your thoughts. Cool, Paulina. What, what's we spoke a little bit today on WhatsApp, but uh, we haven't really caught up in a while. How, how's everything going? I'm doing well. Yeah, I um, since no like since there was still space in the queue, I figured I would come on and and there's a question that I've been puzzling a bit about recently, so I figured I would ask your take on it. Um, it kind of has to do it has to do with the conflict, and then it also has to do with like wokeness and identity politics a bit. Um, so basically, as as you know, I'm I'm dating someone Druze, um, which has been really really interesting because it's given me a completely different perspective on things. Because it's a very like, you know, obviously they're they're a minority in Israel, so it's a very unique perspective, and um, it's given me a lot to think about. But when so when I when I first met him, um, he was very very clear with me like, like he, I'm not an, I'm not Arab. He was like I speak Arabic. And my reaction to it was kind of like, okay, Wikipedia is otherwise, but all right. And I kind of chalked it up to like a 
language sort of thing where, you know, we're speaking in Hebrew. So I was like, I'm taking Avi here to mean like Palestinian. Um, so, but si since that, I've, from speaking to people in the server um, and, and some other Palestinian friends, I've, I've, the, the opinion that they all seem to share is that Druze, Israeli are Palestinian. Um, and they've kind of sold me on that because, um, you know, it's a matter of like ethnic history, culture, linguistic characteristics and all these things. So I, you know, and, and also I've been reading uh, about quite a bit of academic papers on the history of the Druze in Israel and, you know, why they're considered to be like, why, why they're so different and why they're considered to be loyal and everything like that. And, and, and so different from other Arabs. Um, and there does seem to be quite, you know, I, I've, I've been learning about how there has been kind of like a strategy on the part of the Israeli government or the Israeli military to kind of divide and conquer where they're, they're almost purposely in, in, um, encouraging this sort of separatism of like, oh, no, I'm not Arab. You know, I'm Druze. I'm something different. And, and this sort of like not, not wanting to identify with that. So, you know, from speaking to the Palestinians on the server, I, I was very sold. Like, I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, um, you know, that they're actually Palestinian. And I can see why you, why you think that. But then the other day I was thinking about it and then I was like, hang on, because when I, 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 haven't, I haven't discussed any of this with him. And when I think about doing that, I'm like, I think that he would be very, he would, he would not agree with us at all. He would be like, no fucking way. Oh, sorry, I don't know if we're not allowed to curse on the live stream. No, no, yeah, yeah, you could curse. You could curse. <laughs> like um, but yeah, I, th I think he would be like pretty strongly opposed to that. And then it kind of got me thinking like where the line is between with identity, how much of it is objective and how much is subjective, like how a person wants to identify. Because all these, you know, these arguments that I've been hearing and what I've been reading, it makes a lot of sense, like from an objective standpoint. But then... On the other hand, you know, knowing him personally, I, I would feel wrong telling him like, no, you're Palestinian. Like you're a Palestinian. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care how you feel about it. Like you're a Palestinian. And I, I don't. I, and, and thinking about it the other day, I, I was like, I don't even. I don't. I don't see how that's different from from telling someone how to identify with something else. For example, like a you know, a trans woman, for example, if I was like, no, I know you, I know you since you were like, I know, I know you since we were kids. Uh, I know you were born this way and you have, you were raised this way. So I consider you a man or whatever. And that's kind of violent in my eyes. So since then I've been sort of like struggling with it and I'm, I'm like, I actually don't know how I feel about this now. Mm. So I thought, you know, that you, you pose a, a good question. Let, let, let's try to break it down. So first of all, I, I think it's, about the whole divide and conquer in Israel, like intentionally trying to separate Jews from the other Arabs and Israel Arabs from Palestinians. I'm not saying that's not true. It might be. I just don't know enough about it to, to comment on it. But I'm under the impression that we call Israeli Arabs, Israeli Arabs and not Palestinians because I don't need know if we refer to Palestinians as Palestinians prior to the 60s. So like calling them Israeli Arabs was the natural name to call them. We call them Aravim Israelim. That that's what they were. So I don't think that was intentional. But I it it does make sense that Israel would have interest in getting our Arab slash Palestinian population to identify as Israeli, not Palestinian. Um, they want 
you know, Israelis want their own citizens to be loyal to the government. When it comes to the Druze, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if how much of Druze not identifying as Arab comes from the Israeli government. I'd say one way to look at that is to look at the Druze in in Syria and, and Lebanon and Jordan and see how they identify. But it, it, would, it shouldn't be surprising if less Druze in Israel identify as Arab than in Arab countries because there's negative sentiment towards Arabs here. So a lot of our identity, um, like identity can change depending on where we are and, and how it benefits us. Um, and I think that's important to keep in mind. So recently, just earlier in the stream, we had uh, some Israeli Arabs walking by and they stopped to talk. And I asked them if they identify as Israeli Arabs or Palestinian Israelis. And they said it depends. Right. So I, I imagine they're more comfortable identifying as Arabim Israelim here in Israel. But I think if they were like went to Dubai or somewhere in the world that it was uh, very pro-Palestine, then they'd say they're Palestinian, right? They wouldn't say they're Israeli. Mm-hmm. I, I think that when it comes to identity, there's certain identities that are more like objective. So I'm bald, right? I wouldn't say baldness is is an identity, but like there's no debate whether I have hair or not. If I were to grow it out, I'd still, you know, I still, it still comes in, but I'm bald. But a lot of identity is isn't objective it's not based on fact it's based off individual interpretation and you know whether your boyfriend identifies as Druze or arab he can't be wrong it's up to him similar to gender identity i think sexual identity might be is objective right it has to do with chromosomes and and um sexual organs but gender being a social construct i think also it's in the realm of subjective and people can identify how, how they want so um you know, I'm only Jewish because I identify as Jewish. And religious people may disagree. They'd say my mom's Jewish. That makes me Jewish. But if I were to decide to just identify as, um, you know, an atheist with no connection to Judaism, how can anybody tell me otherwise? And I, I think I think identity that comes down to um, whether it's gender or things related to um, ethnic groups, races, I think there's a lot of subjectivity there because ethnic groups and races aren't like, like there's Ashkenazi, like my DNA test says I'm Ashkenazi, right? So you could say that that's not subjective, right? That's in DNA, but even, even races and ethnicities, they're not, there's no like clearly defined genetic makeup of every ethnicity. Like what is the genetic makeup of being an Arab, right? It's not clear. It's, it's a very, broad and diverse and and people who identify as arabs um you, you might have like in the the genetic makeup of a moroccan is vastly different than the genetic genetic makeup of a palestinian a palestinian is different from an iraqi so genetic makeup it's very broad and diverse um you know so there's a lot of room for interpretation there and jurors have their own distinct genetic makeup as well nice. they also look different like their eyes like they, some of them have the most beautiful hazel and green eyes that is, is very rare to actually see in like other Arab uh, cultures, but Druze very much have those eyes. Um, so, and if we, and if, if somebody wants to say, as long as you speak Arab and you come from like an Arab heritage, that makes you an Arab, fine. Somebody can make that claim, but they can't impose that identity on somebody else. Yeah. Right. So ultimately, ultimately like your boyfriend gets to decide if he's Arab or Druze or both. 
Now, that doesn't mean that part of his identity might not be influenced by environmental conditions growing up in Israel. That very well may be, and we should look at the data to see how Syrians identify, and we should look for more proof to see if um, Israel intentionally has tried to separate Jews from Arabs. But um, ultimately, regardless of... Um, Regardless of that, it's still fully up to him to to identify um, how he wishes. What what I would say is not tell him he's an Arab, but share with him the perspective of um, other Palestinians you've spoken to and see see how he responds to this, see how that makes yeah. him feel. And I think that's like a a good way to open the conversation and yeah, ask him if yeah. That that's, that ask him what. No, just ask him like how he how he feels about that, and if he thinks that growing up in Israel impacted him not wanting to be Arab and wanting to be Druze. Like, d- did his parents tell him he's Druze and not Arab? Where do they get it from? Right. So there's, yeah. I think there's a there's a conversation to be had without telling him, yeah. you know, what 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 his identity is, because ultimately it's it's up to him. Yeah, it just goes to show like how complex identity is, because I kind of yeah. went back and forth on it, because at first I was like okay you know I was very much like okay listening to him like all right he's he's not like he's just Jews and then I was like oh no actually this makes sense and and then I kind of went the other way and thinking um you know from what I was reading um about why there's a lot of uh papers and stuff that you can read on like why the Jews are so overrepresented um in the military and like the border police and stuff like that and there's a very strong argument to be made that it is because as you said you know Um, just a matter of like safety and adapting to the environment but that's kind of like that was that's like the um, border guard specifically it's kind of one of the only careers where they Mm. can they can sort of bypass this um, discrimination against Arabs uh, because they have like the military experience and this kind of stuff so it is sort of just trying to survive in Israeli society as a minority so then I kind of I flipped back over to being like oh you know this makes sense I can see how He's sort of, you know, he is this, but he's sort of been divorced from his that identity in a way to, it's just a natural thing to, to protect yourself in the society. But then thinking about actually saying that to him, I was like, no, I think that he would find that, you know, quite emotionally upsetting because he, he's in the army and stuff at the moment. So it's, it's, it's a big touchy subject. And so I would never, I wouldn't just presume to tell him how he identifies. But then I started comparing it to how it is with Jews. Um, and, you know, I see all this talk online about a Jew is a Jew is a Jew and how you can never actually, you can, you can stop identifying as a Jew and you can be like an atheist. But the discourse that I see online a lot is that you can never actually, you can't actually get rid of it. Like you're, you'll always be a Jew. You can't like sign that part of you away. So it's just very, it's very confusing. There doesn't seem to be a clear answer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the challenge with identity. And I think, I think the world is going through an identity crisis. Like we, we see this in people's Twitter bio, bios, how many aspects of their identity they feel like they need to display to the world. Like pronouns is one of them, but then people feel the need to share that they're neurodivergent. And then there's like a half dozen other identities that people feel are important. And I'm not like, by all means, they have a right to do that. But the question is where this drive for them to do that comes from, like why they feel it's important. Um, I like I personally just identify less with with these external identities like I I take pride in being like like subscribing to humanist values. I'm a human, you know. I I, I love all people. Um 
I would say my Jewish and Israeli identity will then come second, but like a, a far second, right? Mm-hmm. A, a, a far second to that. Um, like, I, I don't, I, I think it's cool being of the Jewish people. Like it was, yeah, yeah I was born Jewish. Like we, we look at all this history we're part of. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting tribe to be a part of, but and I don't take pride in it because it's not something I did. You know, I didn't work for for it. I was just born Jewish. So cool. I'm a Jew. Um, but my but, you know, I'm not I don't feel the need to display my Jewishness in my in my bio. It's just I'm just a human here in this world trying to do my small part, trying to learn while while I'm at it have a lot of fun, have new experiences, inspire change, and then um, pass on to whatever comes next. Is it uh, an afterlife, another life, or eternal darkness? I'm not sure, but uh, j- just going with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. We, we'd, I'd be interested to speak to a psychologist and understand why the need so strong, like why identity is so important to so many people. Like it's, it seems essential. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess like our identity helps us understand who we are. I, I think, I think it grounds us, right? It, I'm thinking out loud. So first of all, it grounds us and it also gives us part of a, tri- puts us part of a tribe. So you could see why like, like there's an evolutionary benefit to having an identity. Those are your people, your people keep you safe, right? Your people protect you. So it's, it's a feature that is now kind of acting out and now we're like going identity crazy and um, we're still trying to connect to all these tribes for, for comfort. But I th- think that ultimately we live in a globalized world where every, every human has the ability to be a friend and part of your tribe. Like we're just part of the human tribe today. And I, I think that's the ultimate identity we need to try to, um, we, we need to try to, you know, um, subscribe to. So that's, yeah. that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I agree. Um, Garefoot goes, the pronouns, Twitter bars, et cetera, stuff is a tiny Western bubble phenomenon. Let's not overestimate. Yeah, you, you might be right. You might be right. Just Twitter's very Western, very American. So it's probably where, where it's like right in front of my eyes. I, I imagine the majority of the world do um, think it's it's quite silly. Um, but it still is interesting where where that energy comes from. What 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 else is on your wait? Hold on, I saw Chris Roberts who said you're coming to Israel. Asked if we can meet up. Yeah, sure. Hit, hit me up when you're around. We'll uh, we'll meet. Um, Baron Mike asks, what's the singular of Druze? The singular of Druze is Druze, and the plural Druze. is Druze. <laughs> and in Hebrew, it's Druzi, and it's singular Druzi, and the plural is Druzim, with a mem at the end. M. Um, Let's see. Nomad goes, Adar saying Arab or Druze is like saying Arab or Christian. It's an oxymoron. What do you mean? I don't think oxymoron is the right, quite the right word, but um, you're Redundancy, saying. Redundancy, maybe? Redundant, maybe, maybe that might be what they were meant to say. That he's saying maybe you could be both, or you are by default. Well, but only some Arabs are Christians. 
Like not all Christians are Arabs and not all Arabs are Christians. So I'm not, I'm not sure that's, that's a good example. Are you saying that all Druze are by default Arab? Um, right. I mean, I, I would say that generally speaking, you shouldn't tell people how to identify. So if a Druze tells you they're not Arab, you should probably accept that, you know, it's like, what do you care ultimately? But that's what I like. I don't know. I, I feel like I don't, I need to learn more about what being Arab actually is and like what it means. And I need to look more into the history of that because I'm not, I'm not sure how kind of, again, I'm not sure how objective it is versus subjective because from the arguments I've been hearing, it's been framed as sort of a very objective thing where it's like, no, you like he's an Arab. And, you know, when you, when you Google um, Druze people, it comes up on Wikipedia. It's like they're Arab. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, Wikipedia says they're Arabs. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, um, Suna Naza, I see you say you have a question. Do you want to ask the question in chat or do you want to come on stream and, and discuss? So, AS goes, not all Arabs are Muslim and not all Arabs are Christian. Arab is a linguistic group. Yeah, so I mean, I, I've actually heard somebody explain that in order to be Arab, it's just if Arab is the language you speak, like as a mother tongue. But but even then, it's like if you if you're like a Syrian immigrant in New York and you happen to to learn like English as your first language, are you no longer an Arab, right? So uh, it, it's it, we we just need to accept it's not so black and white. There's a lot of up for interpretation here, um, and we sh- the rule of thumb is if somebody. Somebody's identity should not be more important to you than it is to them, okay? Like, generally speaking. If somebody identifies some way, let them have it. You don't need to fight them on that. Unless, like, I could see a situation where you, you have, like, some people on Twitter who they're, they're, they say they're Jewish, but they spew things that are constantly seen as anti-Semitic. So I would say that's the time where you could object to somebody's identity. It seems like they're using an identity to gain legitimacy, and then they spew garbage, so that I'd say reminds me of people uh, <laughs> that reminds me of certain accounts. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, we're thinking of the same person. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say in that case, you have a right to be offended by somebody's identity because they're actually using it to harm you. Right. So that, that case you, you have a right to object, but generally speaking, you know, someone else's identity shouldn't really be that important to you. It's more important to them. Let them have it. Um, so Nomad corrects, um, Nomad says, Adar, Arab, Arab is someone that belongs to a nation that speaks Arabic as the first language. Right. So th- this is a common uh, definition we heard. So, but here's the tricky thing. If that's really the definition we use, then Jews are not Arabs because the, the most common language in Israel is Hebrew, right? So like, I'm not sure that's, that's a great definition. Jews living in Israel would then not be Arab. They wouldn't yeah, be then, that, that then immediately divides um, the Israeli Jews from other Jews. For, from other Jews, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the Jews are interesting. Like they, they have like a fierce loyalty to whatever whatever nation they're going to live in. It's like a very, very much a part of their culture. Yeah. And it's a great it's a great meme meme not in the sense of like an internet meme, but like a, a unit of culture because it like it's one of the single best survival. Um, like survival traits you could have to be loyal to the nation that hosts you. Um, and I think it's why most Israelis are very like loving 
most Jewish Israelis are very loving towards the, the Jewish population. Like they're very much held yeah. in high regard be, because of their loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, um, the rates, uh, like the percentage of Jews who serve in the IDF is higher than is, um, sorry, higher than Jews, Israeli Jews, because that includes like mm. Haredim, who don't, who don't uh, serve. Interesting. But when you look at the percentage, it's actually, they, they have the highest rate of serving the IDF. Interesting. Okay. I, I actually yeah. didn't know that because I, I do know that uh, Golan Druze gen- aren't required to serve and a lot of them don't because they're scared that if one day the Golan is returned to Syria, then they'll be in threat, in, in danger. They, they also don't carry a green uh, ID card, like a Tudat Zut, mm-hmm. for, for that reason. But uh, I guess if you account for Kharidim, that, that's interesting. Yeah. So I do. I do see we have uh, Jesse here in the waiting room. We'll bring Jesse on. Pauline, any anything you want to share before we wrap it up? No, that was no. it. it was, it's kind of been bouncing around in my head for the last week or two, so I figured I would get your thoughts on it. <laughs> no, yeah. Th- thanks for sharing. I, I want you to come back on and tell us uh, how the conversation went. Update us. Yeah. Update yeah. us. Yeah. I will do. Great. <laughs> right. Awesome, Pauline. Great. Great speaking to you. Jesse, you ready? Yep. Hey Jesse, what's going on? Wait, I'm not I'm not hearing you. Um you might need to set your mic settings. Uh you'll see the cam and mic button, audio, and then just set the the current mic you have. In the meantime, I'm going to read Suna Naz's question. Suna goes, there was a reunion of Jewish Lebanese in France, which triggered a media outburst here in Lebanon, where some people started saying that the idea of Jewish Lebanese would by default go against Zionism. Reunion of Jewish Lebanese in France. Um, Hey, does this work? Yeah, I'm hearing you with a little bit of, no, I'm hearing a little like, uh, sounds like chirping. Oh, okay, that's not good. It may, may, maybe just put the, um, use the computer, the computer mic. It's it's not ideal, but it might. Oh uh, no, I don't have one. I'm on PC. That's or 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 play play with the play with the plug of oh, your mic. Okay, yeah, that could be, that could be it. Um, so I'm I'm trying to understand, Suna. Um, I'm trying to understand. Would by default go against Zionism? Well, if it goes against Zionism, why would that upset them? It's because Lebanese are generally anti-Zionist. So if Jewish Lebanese goes against Zionism, it seems like they should be supportive of the fact that there's Jewish Lebanese. But um, but I, I mean, there's no reason why you can't be both Jewish and Lebanese. And you could also be a Jewish Lebanese Zionist. You could be a Jewish Lebanese anti-Zionist. Uh, Jesse, I'm putting you on mute because I'm hearing a lot of static. Oh, really? Still, that's okay. Yeah. Um, I'll just, I'll, I'll respond to this question and then we'll troubleshoot what's going on with you. Um, Jewish, Lebanese, Zionist, anti-Zionist, Zionist and anti-Zionist are obviously contradictory identities, but you could be Jewish, Lebanese, Zionist. You could be Jewish, Lebanese, anti-Zionist. These are in no way contradictory. They, they're all, uh, perfectly compatible. Um, why, why are people triggered by it? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Maybe you could like elaborate and explain what's going on, but, uh, yeah, if uh, Lebanese want to um, reconnect to their Jewish identity, by all means, you know, you know, welcome, welcome to the tribe. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear you um, I- elaborate on that. 
I'm gonna let let's yeah, we're gonna one more try. This is where turn ju- just tur- turn your uh the mic on your headset off and use your computer mic. Oh yeah, but I didn't have one. I didn't think like No, there's a built in. There's like a built in on every computer. I got like a desktop, so that sucks. Um, uh, I, I could well, have my work left. I'll get that one. I'll be back in a sec. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Silver forty two goes. God side is the only good thing to come from Lebanon. Hey, don't, don't be mean. There, there's probably some other, plenty of other good stuff that come from Lebanon. I hear the food's great, and I hear Beirut is like a popping city. Great art scene. Great nightlife. And I don't know much about God side, but I once commented on his on his tweet, and he blocked me. He's a, he's a little fragile, I gotta say, because my I, I'm generally respectful when I tweet to people. I don't engage in personal attacks. Although today I called some dude insufferable because he really was insufferable. Um, w- one of the the woke types who said that um essentially calling me racist for being anti woke. You, you, you know that that crew um, constantly um, misinterpreting what I say, like a, a true gaslighter. So I called him insufferable. But generally speaking. I don't engage in personal attacks. I, I try to engage respectfully, and he blocked me. Okay, so God said, you know, I got beef with him. I got beef with him. Um, you know, if he wants to come on the show and, and talk it over, let's let's have him on. So, Suna, Suna, to continue our little chat, so being a Jewish Lebanese doesn't go against the creation of Israel. No, not at all. I mean, you know, you have... The, the population in Israel are Jews who returned to Israel um, after thousands of years in exile, and they came from all sorts of European countries, all sorts of Middle Eastern and, and North African countries. The 50% of Jews living in Israel are from the Middle East and North Africa. So what countries are that? You have Syrian Jews, you have Iraqi Jews, you, you have uh, Irani Jews, you have Moroccan Jews. Tunisian Jews, Yemenite Jews, Egyptian Jews, Libyan and Lebanese Jews, right? So these are all these Jews. You know, I'm not sure I've met many Le- Lebanese Jews, but I, I, I think I met some. So all, all these Jews, um, all of like the Jews living in Israel come from all these countries. And then you have Jews from all, all the European countries, from South America, from North America, um, which is interesting because it makes the, the culture here very, very unique, right? All, all the all the Jews that that came to the land in the past hundred plus years brought aspects of their culture, and then you have the you know the Palestinian culture that that is that is part of uh, the land. You have Samaritan culture. You have Circassian uh, culture. Um, there's even a population in um, in the north, like near where I live, where I've only seen them a few times. They're they, they're Asian Jews. They're like from China, but they're religious Jewish. Very interesting. Like I, I need to speak to them. I need to understand what's going on with that, that community. But there's there's a community of them in the north. Um, there's Ethiopian Jews, right? Uh, so yeah, it, it it certainly doesn't go against um, the creation of of Israel. Um, feel feel free to follow up, and uh, I could elaborate if you have another question. I see a super chat. Where is it? All around fifteen shekels. Thank you so much. This is a historical misconception that the Jews always follow the ruling power. They led revolts against the ruling power several times in history. Interesting. Okay, so I, I stand corrected. Um, they're not always fiercely loyal. It seems in recent times they are. And 
Alram, you know, we've been speaking a lot about jurors. You, from what I know, you are jurors, so feel free to continue to correct. And I know I've invited you in the past, but if you ever want to come on the show and, and share more about the jurors uh, people, I, you know, I'd be happy to have you on. Okay, Jesse, let's let's give this a shot. Okay. Hey. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, that's better, I think. No, I was watching it on my PC, so I was like, I might join in on there, but should have mm. used my laptop. So, um, I was thinking, right, so you guys were talking about the identity part, and uh, I live in Europe, in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, and, you know, I was thinking, like, here you don't have a lot of Jews. Um, my granddad is actually one, he's fight the Holocaust, but apart from that, I don't actually have any connection, but... You know, you still hear about it a lot, the conflict. So you do feel like some part of like, I don't know, you, you do feel kind of connected, but also, I don't, not at all, but you do feel some more sympathy. So you have like, um, I was wondering, like, what would the terms be, should be, if someone wants to do an aliyah? Like, because you can't just say like, oh, I'm a Jew now, you know, you get what I mean? And just like, get in you know there should be like strict rules so like how do you like say like what's identity and what's like factual yeah that, that's a good question so for those who are unfamiliar with the term aliyah aliyah is um jewish immigration to the land it's called aliyah which means to um to to elevate to go up it kind of has like a spiritual meaning i guess but so you're asking like what the criteria is to be considered Jewish in order to make Aliyah. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, like, or yeah. Like, so when is it identity and when does it become like real? Like when are you like, well, I mean, that should be yeah. okay, but it's also like, you get what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so you're giving like a clear example where an identity is written into some law, right? And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. And, well, the second that happens, it's no longer. So that doesn't contradict somebody somebody's own personal identity. So somebody may identify as Jewish, uh, maybe only their father. I, I don't. I don't know the exact Aliyah law. I think you need to be at least one fourth. No, no, or the, no, sorry, can I interrupt? Did, yeah, are you familiar with it? Yeah, yeah. I looked it up because I was curious. Right, I'm not actually interested in going, but it does sometimes seem appealing, you know. And even I qualify for it because of my granddad, like, and he's from my dad's side. So I'm just a little bit like, I don't know, because it's, I've also seen documentaries about lots of like Ukrainian people or like Christian. And they're suddenly like, oh yeah, uh, life's better over there. I might move. And I'm not like blaming them. But it's also like, if you're in a conflict and you're like, for example, Palestinian, and you're seeing that it's also a little bit like, yeah. It, 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 I don't oh know, yeah. I see, yeah. So, so yeah, so like, let, let's try to just make some clarity here. So a lot of identity is how we self-identify, but a nation's law does not need to, um, doesn't necessarily need to respect one's own personal identity. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say you're about to go to prison, right? And before you go, you're like, I'm a woman. I want to go to the woman's prison but you still have like the sexual organ of a man. You're not taking hormones. You, everything about you is a man, but you identify as a woman. It makes sense for the, the state to not respect that identity and put you in a woman's prison. Right. It, that's just, uh, obviously there's so many issues with that. So 
again, that, that doesn't mean that person should not have the right to identify as they want, but, but the, the legal system doesn't need to respect everybody's identity. And there's, and as we can see, um, that that's for good reason. So Jewish law, um, says that the, you're Jewish if your mother's Jewish, right? Yeah. But the way Israel defines a Jew legally who can make Aliyah is, as you said, is not. It could be your dad or your dad's dad. Even if your dad's dad is Jewish, that's enough for you to be able to make Aliyah. Um, now, I do know that there's been some criticism that Israel is more lenient in considering Jews from like Europe, like how they how they consider somebody from Europe Jewish and how they consider somebody from Africa Jewish. They're more lenient with letting Europeans in. I have seen this critique. I, I don't know the, the exact story, so I don't want to speak too much on it right now. Um, but what you mentioned, Palestinians being upset about it. I mean, yeah, w- without a doubt, like Palestinians are, are fighting for the right of return. Um, and we have the right to return after 2000 years. And for them, it's been 70 years and they're not allowed to return. So obviously they're, they're going to be upset and rightfully so, you know, we yearn to return for thousands of years and finally made it happen. And they're going to continue to yearn to return probably in, until it can happen. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's part of the inequality that exists on this land, something that we should work to change. Um, generally speaking, both Israelis and Pal- Jews and Palestinians who want to live on the land should have a way to to make it back. And I'd also be open to to Israel opening up the the border to immigrants that are not are not uh, Jewish or Palestinian. Um, maybe not to the same numbers, but yeah, like th- there's there's Christians that live here and they they need to leave every three months be- just to not like break the law. So they leave every three months and then sometimes it's even for a few days and then come back, right? But if if you if you've been living here for for years, like give them a citizenship, let it, let them be part of the country. That that that's my view. Obviously, many people on land aren't um, wouldn't agree with that, but that that seems to make perfect sense to me. Um, okay, cool. Um, I was just curious about one more thing. Sure, um, yeah, but it's it's a little bit besides the topic. It goes deeper into the identity. Um, so are, are you also a little bit familiar with football and soccer? Like A little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So, like, I, play, I, play, I, play, I play fantasy football, you know. It, it makes <laughs> okay, life cool. more interesting, yeah. <laughs> so um, here we have, like, Ajax. I'm quite a fan about it. And I was recently I was in the stadium, and just one of the things I found really uncomfortable is, like, the obsession with Jews. Like, it's used – I don't know. Have you ever seen it or heard about it? There's a lot of anti-Semitism at the sports games, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a bit different because they their their rifles used to use the like Jews as like a slur towards them, right? Towards the fans and the players because it's like it was in a Jewish neighborhood. So they were like, okay, then we're Jews, and then just they called they started calling themselves super Jews. Uh, and in the beginning, it was quite funny. You get what I mean? But now it's become like such a thing. That like you're in a stadium, it's like fifty thousand people screaming Jews, Jews, like Yoda, yo, and it's like all in the same rhythm. You see Israeli flags, and like no one's Jews, like literally no. One. <laughs> Interesting. So, like, so wait, so they were so called like Jews as like Jewish people living in the Netherlands, and there's like fifty thousand people like yelling Jews, Jews. Honestly, I'm 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 pretty okay with that. It's 
Because it's like it, it was used as a derogatory slur against them, and then they just owned yeah. it. They're like, you know what? You want to call me a Jew? Fine, I'll be a Jew. It, it, what what it shows is that they themselves have no problem with the slur. Like they're very much owning it and saying, you know what? Call me a Jew. Um, I don't think these these people don't go home and consider themselves to be Jewish, right? It's kind of just like a like a, a stadium gimmick, which I think is is funny and uh, and, and good hearted. It's quite possible I'm in the minority of Jews who's going to say that I'm okay with this, but uh, you know, like I, I'd say it's problematic that the other team is saying Jews as a slur. We know that there's a huge problem with anti-Semitism in Europe, so it's not surprising that they use Jew as a slur. But I think it's a very clever way to deal with the slur. It's it's actually similar. Like you'll see a lot of Jews on Twitter, myself included. We put our name in the triple parentheses. Triple parentheses is like um is an anti-Semitic coded word for Jews. It's called an echo because Jews make echoes around the world. So the way anti-Semites talk Jews, they say they or someone's name and they'll put them in triple parentheses. So what Jews did, we said, yeah, we'll put ourselves in triple parentheses. We'll own that shit. We're Jewish. So yeah, my, my, uh, and, and that just goes to show that an identity strengthens when you're hated for that identity, generally speaking. So like I don't, uh, as I mentioned before, like the my Jewish identity isn't a very strong part about my of my individual identity, but my Jewish identity has been strengthened because of anti-Semites. Like the reason why my name is in parentheses and I'm saying I'm I'm proudly Jewish is because people have hated hated on me for being Jewish. So yeah, own 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 your shit, you know, okay. for good and for bad. Okay. Yeah. So when it becomes like okay, actually really bad, it's like. You also have their rival teams. It's from Rotterdam. And they start chanting, like, Hamas, Hamas, Jews to the gas. gas. Like, it, it, you see, and then, yeah, like, I don't know. If it results into that, what, what are your thoughts about that? Have you, is this, like, known in, like, Israeli society or, like? You know, it's interesting because I think Israelis in general are less sensitive towards anti-Semitism than diaspora Jews. I think... Maybe because there's a very like tough macho mentality in Israel, but also we we don't we feel protected, right? We're not a minority here, so we're less sensitive towards hate. But um, you know, I'd say it's it's understandable why saying um, what what's what's the slogan? Yeah, it's like Hamas, Hamas, Yodan et Chas. It's Hamas, Hamas, Jews to the gas. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's offensive, right? Like they're yeah. they're calling they're calling for for genocide of the Jews in a way that already happened to us. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fucked up thing to say. Um, what's, what's ironic about it is those people strengthen Jewish identity and legitimize Zionism, right? You know, the, the justification for, for Zionism, generally speaking, is that we need a place where we can ensure our own security. And then many people say, what do you mean? You could be safe anywhere. But then you, you'll see even in, in the Netherlands, which is a very, a relatively peaceful country you have people in the stadium calling for jews to be gassed and again that's that's just like a stadium chant it doesn't mean that the netherlands is is in any way close to gassing jews but i mean just the fact that that sentiment can exist and people can say it even as a joke very much legitimizes zionism and strengthens jewish identity so that that's the ironic part about about their chant yeah um I'm wondering if is there someone else waiting or order questions you want to do? First? No, well, I want to I want to get to some uh, chat uh, audience questions, but um, yeah, if you want, I can leave and like. Do, do you have? Did you have something else? Oh uh, no, I have like ten minutes if you want. 
Um, if, if if you have final thoughts, f- feel free to share them. I very okay, much appreciated yeah, uh, you, okay, your sorry. insight. Um, so um, I actually had an experience because in high school class, we do get taught about the Holocaust quite a lot. And uh, I remember this experience of like this one kid. I was like, it was like we were all like 13. He was very young. And we were talking about like Jews and blah, blah, blah. And if any family members and people started bragging about how their granddad or their assistants, whatever. And then there's one guy who was just like yelling at me because I have a very Jewish like surname, like something like, oh, Hitler should have gassed your granddad. And the teacher is just there and like didn't say anything. And to be fair, at the time, I didn't think it was weird because I grew up in a city a little bit outside of Amsterdam. Like, it's very close, but it's a bit more lower class. So we actually have a lot of, like, Moroccan immigrants in my class and Turkish people, you know. And obviously, there isn't, like, someone going to say something about, like, you know, about that. And, like, even a teacher not doing it, it was kind of surprising. But yeah, yeah, that's fair, messed up. Yeah, and it's it's also a weird personal thing because I also don't. I'm not Jewish. You get what I mean? But it is like more. It's also personal because it's about someone I personally like grandchildren from. You get what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Like I don't think Aliyah is like the thing for me, but it's 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 a it's a little bit like a of a mixed feeling, a bit odd. No, I mean, it, I, it's more political. Uh, so, so, it, it is like, uh, so, like, well, it's more political, social, in turn, in, in, than it is like identity. Right. Well, first of all, I'm sorry you had to deal with that. Um, kids can be nasty, huh? And you know, the it's the teacher's job to stop bullying, especially when it's harmful. It's like so harmful like that. So it's kind of fucked up. But um, yeah, you know, hate is gonna hate. I th- you still seem like you turned out to be like great individual. So uh, I don't think that no, hater had yeah. too much impact on you. No, I don't, I don't really like, to be fair, it's, it's more like, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I do see a problem with like, um, I don't know, because most people, their grand, like their, their parents are directly from those countries. So they do carry some kind of like prejudice or hate. And yeah. these people are like in lower class neighborhoods together, grouped up. This hate is like echo chambering, and it, for sure, know, it's like even the children coming. And I don't know, I don't want to be like, oh, close the borders as well, but it's also like there used to be like 200,000 Jews living here, and now there's only 10,000, like mm. before and after the Holocaust. Like, right, that's like insane. You get what I mean? It's like an entire like culture population almost like wiped. Yeah, yeah, like, I- I've, se- yeah. I've seen Jews express like sadness over. Europeans express sadness over the fact that the Jews have left. Like I've seen people make make, make that case before. Yeah. Well, eighty percent was guessed, and then the, the other like fifty percent of the twenty percent left. So left. Then, okay. Yeah. And what's so, left is ten k. Mm. Yeah, and and then that, and that per, and that's like slowly leaving as well because of these incidents. Like there are schools being guarded like twenty four seven. Um. There's like we have these little stones that say like say the family's name in front of the houses that have been like killed or like murdered. Oh wow! Yeah, and those get like spit on, scratched on, stuff like that. And it's like you don't see it directly. There's no one like gonna punch you, stab you, whatever. Interesting. But it is like it is a very uncomfortable feeling. Like in some ways, even at work here, people like 
oh, about Yisrael, but well, like recently, you know, when it's like two months ago, I think, uh, when the conflict with uh, the Shak Jarrah thing, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it was like a couple months ago. Yeah, everyone was talking about it, and like, I don't want to like get political because you know I'm, I'm in the minority of my opinion. I have like different views uh, in terms of that, and more like to like. I've listened to your podcast a lot. I have similar views like yours. You've kind of changed mine a little bit. It's from two states, so like you're talking about federation, and people are like are you hearing like my direct manager say like oh, uh, someone's like oh what was this and it's like uh, she was saying oh um, yeah well, how would you feel about someone just Andrew your house kick you out and like put you in prison and it was just that was that was, that was just her explaining the conflict in like two sentences and I was just like, um... I'm not, not also not in a position to say something because it's also my manager. But it's also send, like, send, send him to the channel. Let, let, let him watch some of these discussions. Uh, I, I, know, I, that's, I, that's the best one. <laughs> no, uh, it's in the Netherlands, by the way. Um, it's in Almeida, um, small city, 200,000 people. Mm, close okay. to Amsterdam. Uh, but I do work in Amsterdam. It's a very open minded culture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been to Amsterdam so, a few times. I actually really like that city. It's a cool, yeah. cool city. Yeah. Cool, Jesse. Well, th- thanks a lot for sharing. I, I appreciate yeah, your yeah. perspective. I didn't get too much about the personal stuff. I don't know. It's no, no. I'm, uh, th- I mean, we, this is, we, we like to hear this stuff. You know, it's, it makes for, you know, uh, it's good content. It's inspiring. I think this is what people want to hear. So I appreciate you, you know, being open to sharing and, uh, you know, feel free to hop back on next time we do one of these calling <laughs> shows. Sounds good, man. Okay. Awesome. Good Talk night, soon. You too. Cool. So we're going to wrap it up soon. I'll, we'll do some more questions. Maybe we get a few more super chats up in here. Um, let's see. Let's see. Okay. Septa asks, what happens to my eye? I don't know. Something wrong with my eye? No, my eye's fine. Maybe I have bags under them because I'm a bit tired, but no, no, nothing, nothing that I know of. Um, let's see. George says, got to go. Thanks, Dar. Yeah, thank, thanks for joining us. Okay, Danny H. Ego, um, have you attended a Beitar Jerusalem game? Bro, look, I like you. I, I like your presence here. I, I appreciate your input. But can we not get into this shit? Me saying that, like, people in European sports stadium is anti-Semitic, that has nothing to do with Beitar Yerushalayim. Yeah, they're also racist and say disgusting shit. But why why can't you accept that there's hateful people without bringing up that there's some hate in Israel? What you're doing is not so different than what many like of the Hasbara guys do. And whenever you'll bring up um, like a soldier abusing a Palestinian, like, oh, but what about Palestinians doing this, this, this and this? That That's that's what you're doing. Bro, not like everything needs to be brought back to like what like what you're upset about. And, and I understand Israel, Palestine is a part to you. But we can talk about anti-Semitism in Europe without you feeling the need to to bring up Beitar Yerushalayim as if I'm ignoring them. No, what Beitar what what the Beitar sports fans do is disgusting. It should be condemned. What many sports fans in Europe do is disgusting and should be condemned. Like I don't like well, I don't see what the issue here is. Honestly, one of the most annoying things is when people like misinterpret and misrepresent what you say. It's so tiring, you know, like, 
just making an effort to like engage in good faith and be honest and someone will like not listen to what you say and just say something completely different right it's one of the most tiring and annoying things somebody somebody can do honestly i think like one of the most important things we could teach in school is like critical thinking effective communication um, understanding um, cognitive biases learning the logical fallacies this to me is more important than than math and history and stuff like that you know they often say you won't use the math you learn, but it, it teaches you how to think. Well, learning cognitive biases, logical fallacies, effective communication teaches you how to think much better than uh, algebra and geometry. I'm sorry. Um, and and if we were to learn those things, and you you could perhaps learn both, but if you need to prioritize one, it's it it should be it should be that. Um, and if we were to teach this in schools, like you'd see that our conversations would be so much more productive. And you'd be able to talk about hateful stuff in uh, Europe without somebody talking about Beitari Shalim as if that's like, if the, uh, as if that has any relevance. Danny goes, there are more than 1 million Israeli Jews who, not, who are not Jewish per halacha law, so you don't apply Jewish law, international and moral law. So specifically that law is uh, Israeli law. Right, Israel made a law that says, in order to make Aliyah, if this is the requirement. If you meet that requirement, you can make Aliyah. So that's that's the law. Good scene. Yeah, we're just wrapping up. It's a it's a long one today. Yeah, yeah. Laila Tov. That's uh, our friends from. Uh, from before our Palestinian friends. Silver 42 goes, you are using your in Israel privilege right now. Adar. So I don't know what that's in relation to, but it's possible I was doing that. I don't know if you're also saying this seriously or as a joke, but um, there's, yeah, there's privileges to living here without a doubt. I feel blessed. Not blessed in the religious sense, but more in the sense of a deep sense of gratitude. Any final questions? Uh, Adam, except Adam asked, how was my Midburn? Go to the beginning of the chat. I started it by talking about Midburn. I gave like a 10-minute pitch about the, the burn and and, and how, it, how it goes um, and what it's all about. Suna Naza goes, why doesn't Israel give up North Israel, South Lebanon, disputed water borders to get over with it? You know, I didn't even know that there's any dispute on the northern border. I know the, the Golan Heights are disputed, but is there a dispute over the, the northern border with Lebanon? Honestly, that's new to me. Send a link. You never you never know. I, I would say if it was as simple as giving up something that would make peace with Hezbollah, then we should probably do it, but I'm not, I don't think Hezbollah, their, um, I don't think their stance is um, just a border dispute. I think they don't recognize any form of uh, Israel's existence, so I don't think it's as simple as, as that. Except Adam goes, Midburn sign still seems on your face. Interesting. Does anybody else see it? What, what is it? Is it a glow? Do I look tired? 
Do I look diff? Do I look different? Honestly, I, f- I feel it took me a few days to come back to reality. Like it's very hard to go from midburn to um, back to the real world, but I'm feeling feeling back at it. I'm feeling like sharp and focused. T- took some time though. What else we got? So look, uh, what we have going on next week, uh, we're meant to have Alan Dershowitz on the show. It's meant to be next Thursday, but his matchup kind of fell through. So we're still looking for a debate partner for him. If we can't find one in time, we might postpone it, but we will have Alan Dershowitz on sometime. Let me know who you'd like to see on with Dersh, the Dersh. Um, the week after that, I'm going to have a debate with Adam Green. Adam Green is a uh, bit shoot. Uh, has a big bit shoot channel, widely considered anti-Semitic, although he doesn't claim to be. We're going to have a discussion about that. We'll get to the bottom of it. Um, uh, Rudell's good seeing you here. Thank you for joining us. If it's your first, I think it's, well, it's my first time seeing you in the chat, so I, I hope you come back. Except, Adam, you say I look tired. Yeah, maybe I'm a little tired. Maybe a little bit. Um, Suna says that it's not the conflict is not with Hezbollah, but with the Lebanese government. So I need to know more about that, like water dispute you're talking about. But I don't think, I don't think, I think Israel and the Lebanese government can actually work out their differences. I don't think that's too much of an issue. I think Hezbollah very much is the is the challenge here. Guys, one last time, uh, we have a community BBS. BBS is kind of like Reddit, but built using blockchain technology. You can earn money for making posts, and uh, it's more censor. It's less or more censorship resistant. It's like a double negative. More, yeah, it's more censorship resistant. Um, come in, share your thoughts, tell us how you're feeling. You you actually earn like real money for posting. There's like a, a whole built-in token economy. You earn cryptocurrency, which you could cash out for fiat. Um, I'm going to share it. Join the BBS. Share your thoughts. Tell us what you're thinking. You also get like money just for signing up. You can't withdraw the money because obviously then people would just sign up and withdraw. You get money for signing up so you could buy other people's posts just to get the economy running. The money you could withdraw is money you earn. So it's kind of like... Imagine you walk in a casino, you get $100. You can't convert that $100 to cash. But if you use that 100 and you earn more, whatever you earn above the 100 is yours. So that's it, it's similar here. So come join us. Um, <clears throat> getting more comments about my that I'm a little stuffy. Yeah, I, I actually was a little sick. I, I I haven't been sick in like five years, but I at Midburn, I, got, I had a little... Uh, throat nose thing um let's see posting this again gerfot uh goes adar have you ever tried to have palestinian american or canadian british etc academic on the show someone like rashid khalidi joseph Mossad, etc so actually we emailed rashid khalidi yesterday to try to get him to debate dershowitz so that's one of the people we're targeting for dershowitz I'm not. I'm actually not familiar with Joseph Massad, but I'll write that down. We can try to reach him. Anybody who like, if you have guest suggestions, send it to me. Preferably not in chat. Like, reach out to me on Instagram, Discord, uh, Facebook, Twitter, email, and any Telegram, any platform you want. Reach out to me. Let me know uh, who you want to see on the show, and we'll we'll try to we'll try to reach out to them. Danny goes. It's a natural gas dispute. Okay, I'm, I've heard of the natural gas dispute. I'm I'm not so familiar with with the details of it, but um. 
a lot of money, natural gas. That's going to be a tricky one to solve. But uh, I, I think we could we could find a way. Uh, but again, I, I think the bigger problem is, you know, Hezbollah is gaining more and more power in Lebanon. And um, they don't recognize any form of Israel's existence. So I think that's really the bigger issue than the than the gas dispute. Um, Suna asks, Sadar, do you do call-in shows weekly? It gives better platform where you don't know who you'll get to talk to. No, not weekly. Um, we've done this a few times. I think we'll do at least w- once a month. If they're extremely popular, we could do more. Um, yeah, Suna, I see you sent me links. Well, wherever you send them, send them to my uh, social media platforms. Learn Think says, I'm going to try to hit up a University of British Columbia professor to talk to you. I'd like to hear the discussion. Sure, sure. Connect us. Sean Fiddle goes, do you think reform converts are legit? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, you know, I'm like, I don't believe in the Jewish religion. I'm not, I'm not Jewish by religion. I'm my, my Judaism is more of being uh, of the Jewish people. But, um, so obviously I'm going to have a more moderate opinion on this than, than many religious Jews, but yeah, sure. What, what I do take issue with is there's some reform converts who, and I don't even know if they did like an official reform, reform conversion, but they spew shit that's pretty anti-Semitic. And then they're like, yeah, but I'm Jewish. Like they think they could get away with it. And they use, they use them being Jewish as like extra oppression points. Cause you know how very much in the West, like we've incentivized oppression and people want as many oppressed identities. So I think I object to people converting to Jewish just so they could pretend to be even more oppressed than they otherwise were. It's just, it's not healthy to want to be oppressed. Like we shouldn't incentivize oppression. We should incentivize empowerment, right? Like, and so much of being oppressed is, is a state of mind. It's not a, it's not a physical reality. Let me give you an example. You could have a black woman, let's say Chloe Valdry, for example, regardless of what you feel about her perspective, but Chloe Valdry is a black woman who does not feel oppressed. She feels empowered. She feels grateful for everything that she has. Then you can have a white man, right? And and the, the way, you know, many on the left, or let's call it the social justice oriented left, the, the woke left would say a white man is the top tier privilege and a black woman, not only black, but also a woman that's like at the bottom. But you have some white men that feel like they're oppressed. They, they Perhaps they're libertarians. They feel like the government's oppressive. They need to pay taxes, um, vaccine passports, whatever. Like they genuinely feel oppressed. So how is it you could have a situation where a white man and a black woman, one feels oppressed, the, the white man feels oppressed and the black woman feels empowered. It just shows so much of our um, feeling of oppression is a subjective notion and not a physical reality. And the fact that so much of it is a subjective notion means we should we should like have a society that that um, incentivizes people to want to be empowered, right? That makes people feel empowered and in control of their destiny, and not exactly the opposite, which is a mindset of like victimhood and oppression, which very much what um, many social a- social justice activists are um, incentivizing today. So I very much object to that culture. I consider myself an activist. I very much care about social justice. Social justice justice issues but one of the single best ways to empower for to elevate disenfranchised people is for them to feel like they're in control of their destiny and the current narrative 
um, around social justice is very much to do the opposite. It's to tell them they're powerless. There's nothing they could do. The government needs to save them. The white man needs to save them. Like th- this is just not a healthy worldview. It's not giving people the tools they need to be able to rise up and, and make something of themselves. Again, you need systemic change as well. There's only so much you could do given certain environments. If you're very poor and don't have access to to um, basic needs, then it's very hard to make something of yourself. So again, like uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That certainly has a limit. Um, the The solution to elevating disenfranchised communities is them having um, a positive set of beliefs that help them elevate themselves and systemic change that gives them the tools to um, get out of poverty or an oppressive situation. So you need both. Uh, the right generally talks about the, the self-empowerment. The left talks about the uh, systemic change. In reality, both are very important. I wish like, we better knew how to reconcile these two things. And learn thing goes, own your shit, people, and have empathy and compassion for those around you. I agree. Beautiful. Um, cool. We're signing off. We're signing off, friends. Uh, if you want, I'm not, I'm done for the day. I'm pretty tired, but I'll put a link to the Discord as well. We could do an after party in the lounge. Click the Discord link on the left hand side. It says lounge. Click it. You're connected. You'll be connected via voice. You don't need to speak. You could just listen, but uh, we could do a little after party. And uh, see you on BBS as well. Next week, it might be Dersh. It might be somebody else. I'm not sure. But what's for sure is uh, November 18th, me and Adam Green are going to have a nice discussion. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to be one of the more interesting conversations we've had on this platform. Um, Much love, friends.